1: The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network.
0: G'day, world. This is the sniper
2: of the skies, Robbie Eagles, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style.
3: on today's show, we'll review the New Japan Cup Finals and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling tea store, wrestlingteescom slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style T-Shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com. Frequently updated. And with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, what's going on, man?
2: Oh, I am doing so well. I know that this is going to sound crazy, but Jeremy... I've never been more prepared for an episode of Keeping a Strong Style in my life. (laughs) Really? Yeah. You know, um, life gets hard. Times get busy. And it's difficult to always be on top of everything that the good folks over at Shinihan throw at us. But um, I've been on a schedule. All right. I'm studying for my next licensing exam. And so that's kind of causing me to put some stuff into, uh, you know, into more regimented, Focus and yeah, I've been. Let me put it to you this way: there were several weeks where, typically, if I recommend something to you and you recommend something to me, I like to like keep up with it and have watched it all. I haven't watched none of that shit until the last week. I'm caught up. I've seen all the things that you and I were supposed to have seen and talked about. I've seen it all. I watched backstage promos. Mm. I saw the press conference. I saw the terrible Mercedes Monet video. I've seen it all. I'm I'm good. (laughs) I'm here. Well, another thing too, before we move on, one reason I'm feeling good. Nothing makes me feel more complete and on top of my game than when I have bought new socks, mm. new underwear and new undershirts. And this Right here that you're seeing that the, the <laughs> audience can't see this crisp white shirt. There's no stains. There's no no nothing. I this is straight out of the package
3: eight pack baby. You got that fresh uh, Daniel Brian uh, Brian Danielson on.
2: Yeah, the Brian Danielson fit. So <laughs> you know, I'm feeling good, bro. How are you doing? Oh, by the way, speaking before we move on, last week we had a terrible terrible comedy bit to open the show that just didn't it went on too long it didn't go well (laughs) but you were asking me about best places to find a burger i found a place completely coincidentally um joe's new york style diner in tampa you have to go to this restaurant okay when i'm telling you that it is the best it is the fucking best i this is one of the best like Remember when we were in L.A. with Chris Samsa? What's up, Chris? And we ate at that really, really good uh, Korean barbecue place. Oh, yeah. Parks, Parks BBQ. I still think about that place. <laughs> I think about it, too. That's – it's not the same style, but this was one of the most satisfying meals I've ever had in my life at a diner. Wow. Where, where is this place at? It's right by you, man. It's right by it's, – it's in Tampa. Okay. Um, you know, typically if you go to like a diner experience, you kind of know what you're expecting. You know what I mean? Like, and usually they might have like good dessert or like a good entree or whatever. I've never been to a place where every single side was exemplary. Every single like dish, everything that I ate, like the soup was like phenomenal. The The fried veggies were phenomenal. The burger was fucking blow away. And it was like I had a twelve dollar meal and they brought me out soup salad, two sides, and the fucking burger and it like it blew and it was so good and then the dessert one of the best desserts I ever had in my life all right gonna have to For like fifteen dollars uh, gonna have to check this place out and yeah uh, bro like you you've gotta have this burger it's amazing bro they got loaded fries you can pretty much tell them to put whatever you want on it they'll make it it's disgusting it's so good. <laughs> Uh,
3: I too had actually did have a good burger this weekend. Also, have you ever had a burger from a Burger Culture?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah Burger Culture is good.
3: Yeah, I went there A little food truck uh, gimmick off of Dale Mabry. Um, had the the black and blue burger on a pretzel bun. It was fine. They've got
2: they've got a um, they got a permanent place in Tampa right by the diner. I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, burger culture is good. It's like, it's very similar to like burger or like Burgermonger, One of those places yeah. really
3: good. Yeah. Well, uh, before we, uh, jump into, uh, the new Japan cup finals, we did have a question here from ethnic underscore dystopian on Reddit. Um, and I figure, you know, we have a lot of new listeners over, you know, the last couple of years and it's been a while since we've answered a question like this. Uh, they asked, how did both of you get into pro wrestling and who were your favorite wrestlers growing up?
2: Oh, shit. That's a crazy. <laughs> we've had questions like this before. but This podcast has been going for like, I don't know, five, six years, something like that. So. Yeah, it's been a while since we've yeah, talked about this. Well, I guess I'll start. So my wrestling fandom literally spans back to the earliest thoughts that I have, like the earliest memories. I don't know. An existence or a beingness or anything like i have no sense of self that didn't involve pro wrestling like literally when you look at um baby photos of me even before like my first birthday like i'm playing with wrestling toys um grew up in detroit and my whole entire family like loved wrestling on both sides um i am of a mixed heritage primarily i mean i'm mixed with a lot of shit, but like my dad's basically jewish and my mom is like basically you know she's like Native American and like Hispanic so I'm like brown and Jewish (laughs) (laughs) and um both sides of my family like my grandfather on my mom's side my abuelo like he would send me he lived in like New Mexico he'd send me like tapes from like triple a and shit like literally VHS like taped stuff he'd send me like glow and triple a and you know other like weird lucha libre wcw videos and like i'd watch that stuff and then like on my dad's side like they grew up in the like detroit big time wrestling like territory so you know they knew like the chic and boba brazil and you know the list goes on and on so that's kind of like my upbringing my biggest as a kid i was a fan of the superheroes so like my first favorite wrestler was like horrible racist hulk hogan Uh, (laughs) And then, um, you know, from there, like, you can pretty much see a through line. Like, I liked Lex Luger. I liked Ultimate Warrior. I liked Macho Man Randy Savage. I liked Sting. I pretty much liked the good guys that were on the gas that could beat your ass and and cut amazing promos. Like, larger, larger-than-life characters is what I liked growing up. Superstars. Then, um, yeah, the superstars. <laughs> Another thing, too... I grew up on Jim Crockett. We had a bunch of Jim Crockett VHS tapes. Uh the one that I watched the most primarily was The Best of Starcade 83 through 87. So uh, almost on a daily basis I was watching you know Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard Blanchard, you know, bludgeon each other and like Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine in the dog collar match and you know, various Matt, like Ronnie Garvin and Ric Flair. Like that's the shit that, and, and, you know, watching Jim Cornette fall off of a scaffold. Like this is the stuff that I was watching as a child and um, what kind of like shaped my fandom. And then beyond that, my, my older brother who's now uh, passed on and deceased, he was a big influence on my wrestling fandom as well, because he uh, was a martial artist and was sort of like a part of a tape trading kind of um, I, I guess community. But it wasn't that he was trying to track down pro wrestling. He was a martial artist. So there he was uh tape trading like full contact martial arts, but that kind of also bled into the subcultures of like we'd get mixed style fights. So we'd see like a karate guy fighting a Muay Thai guy in, in like Cork and Hall, which like that happened a few times, so, like Benny the Jet and stuff like that. And then we started getting the Anoki tape. So we didn't know what was real and what was fake. And we'd get and then MMA happened in the 90s. So we started getting like these. No holds barred, you know, Brazilian fights and Japanese fights. And then the shoot style stuff came in and we're seeing PWFG and rings and UWFI. We don't really, it's, there's no internet. So we're not really sure what's what we're trying to decipher it all. So like, I was very like exposed to that stuff, like early on. And that's kind of, I mean, i basically like, I was born in 88. I literally remember being excited for Hogan and warrior in 1990. And I was two years old. And, like, most people don't have memories from when they're two, but I do. I wanted to see Hogan and Warrior. So, (laughs) like, that's, that's, and pretty much for the rest of my life, I've been into pro wrestling.
3: Yeah, a very similar story to me. Uh, I was born in 89, and... Uh, wrestling was always big in my family. I've heard stories of my my great-great-grandfather dressing up as Ric Flair. Um, oh,
2: my God.
3: <laughs> <laughs> in, in St. Thomas and Virgin Islands, strutting around uh, the mountaintop. Uh, That's but, hilarious. <laughs> but, yeah, wrestling was kind of a, a family thing for me growing up. Like, everybody watched it when I was growing up. My mom, my grandma. We all watched it together. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up. Mainly, I would say WWF was probably the main thing I grew up on. And then, of course, during the Monday Night Wars, flipping back between WWF and WCW. But, yeah, through that kind of family bonding, pretty much been watching wrestling literally my whole life, just like you, like my first memory I can think of is sitting on my grandfather's lap watching the Legion of Doom squashing some geeks. I don't remember who it was, but I just remember That's Hawk awesome. an Animal just, you know mauling like some like local job guys or whatever and so yeah been watching wrestling ever since then uh, i've never stopped and here we are today
2: <laughs> I, I have stopped before when i went to college in oh between like oh seven and like oh nine i did stop watching but it wasn't like i wasn't watching any wrestling i just wasn't consistently watching like the television product you know what i mean mm-hmm, yeah so i hear about things from you know i like you got to see Ric Flair versus HBK, so I would tune in. But like, I did miss some of those Federation years from 07-09. So I like I missed like Kozlov and like Jeff Hardy's title run and stuff like that. And I, I filled in some of the gaps, but I wasn't as actively watching during that period. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, I don't know how I did it, but yeah, I, I went all the way through. I didn't miss anything. I saw I saw all the, the <laughs> Jeff Hardy, the Kozlov, the. You know all of it from yeah Triple H's reign of terror on Monday Night Raw. And-
2: Here's how crazy it is. My um, I've attended a lot of live wrestling shows as a child growing up, both here in Florida and then also my earlier childhood years in like Michigan. Um, when my mom was pregnant with me, I-, I wasn't physically born, but I was still like percolating. I was in the oven. You know <laughs> what I'm saying. When Ron Garvin came off of the top rope, sunset flip pinned Ric Flair for the NWA World's Heavyweight title in Kobo Arena in 1987, I was there. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't see any of it, but I was there.
3: (laughs) Uh, But yeah, as far as our favorite wrestlers, I mean, Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels was my favorite wrestler growing up and from the earliest age. Because I remember when I was five, the 1995 Royal Rumble was here. In Tampa the Sun Dome It was a Rumble where Sean won from number 1 To 30 and I remember as a kid Popping when he came back in and threw Bulldog out and won the Rumble So Sean was always my guy Bro, From an earliest age I was age.
2: so fucking pissed when that happened <laughs> You must have been a smarky kid to have liked <laughs> Shawn Michaels in 1995 because he was still a heel.
3: Right. I, I think, also he's probably one of the only heels I did like. Like, like you, I, I love I loved Sting. I love Hogan, growing up, all those guys. But for whatever reason, like, Shawn was my guy. He was a sexy boy. I wanted to be the heartbreak <laughs> kid.
2: Bro, I remember um, growing up in a very uh, religious home. I remember when Hogan had jumped ship and then was having issues with the uh, Four Horsemen and, you know, they, the the ratings weren't doing so hot. So they started having him do some jobs. And I remember when he lost to Arn Anderson on Nitro. And granted, I think there was a lot of outside interference. Maybe it was even a DQ. I don't really remember exactly what the outcome is. I just know Arn Anderson beat Hulk Hogan on Monday Nitro. And I remember praying <laughs> with tears in my eyes, bro, before I went to bed like god you have to do something like because to me to bro i'm not there's no it's funny but dude hulk hogan was a christian bro he wore a, a crucifix around his neck he's one of like he's on god's side you know what i'm saying yeah. like he was hbk before hbk and he's gonna let this motherfucker arn anderson the bald dude the balding sidekick to rick flair is gonna beat like it didn't even, you know what's funny about that? It's like, to me, Hulk Hogan was so cool and he was balding, but I didn't see that. He was just awesome. But Arn Anderson was like an old dude. Like, and he probably wasn't even older than Hogan, but I was like, dude, this old man who hangs out with this other old <laughs> man. Like, olds on top. These olds <laughs> on top. Like, how was he beating Hulk Hogan? Like, And I'm like, it's not fair because all these women are attacking Hulk Hogan with their heels and and causing the downfall of the greatest champion in the history of wrestling. It's not right. You know? <laughs> God, you need to step in. Oh man. <laughs> my 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 like wrestling logic went kind of like this. It was like Ultimate Warrior is the greatest force in the history of wrestling. Nobody can touch him. Like there's nobody that could actually beat him one on one. Um, until like Bill Goldberg came along. And then it was like, like when Warrior came back in ninety-six, I was like, that's it for Sean. Like he, it's a good thing that they're in the people's <laughs> posse together because if they weren't, Warrior would run roughshod over him. <laughs> he kicked out of the pedigree, bro. Like he even like he stood up after a pedigree. Yeah, like squash Triple H. Yeah, bro. Like the pedigree is the most protected move in the wrestling industry, and he just walked out of it. Like there's no doubt in my mind he would destroy Shawn Michaels. It's a good thing they never had a title fight. And then, you know, he went to WCW and I was like, damn, I don't know what's going to happen because Goldberg is like the same level. Like this this right here is the greatest match that could ever happen in history. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact it never happened, I think is one of the greatest tra- just, like, travesties in the history of wrestling. I, uh, And again, this Hollywood Hulk Hogan, who by this time had broken my heart, like fuck that dude. Like he has stolen the greatest match that all fans want, I know for sure, that all fans want to see Hulk Hogan, or I'm sorry, Ultimate Warrior and Bill Goldberg. The only man in my mind that could beat both of them was like Bret Hart. Because mm. I believed that he was that good. That he was that the best
3: he, there is, best there was, best there ever will be.
2: Like, I understand he can't physically dominate them, but I think he can get their shoulders down for a one, two, three. I've seen mm. him do it to, like, you know, I've seen him beat lots of dudes. Diesel. He beat... Diesel, he beat the undertaker and he beat Yokozuna. So why, I think he could probably small package Bill Goldberg. (laughs) I think if it was a fight, like if it was a fight to the death, Bill Goldberg ultimate where would kill him. But if it's just a sporting contest, I think he has enough technical acumen to possibly submit those men. I I think maybe that's, that's how I thought as a child, bro.
3: Well, you know, Goldberg almost did
2: kill Brett. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in a sporting
3: contest. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nah, that was a fix, bro. Roddy Piper was on the inside, the NWO 2000. That that whole, Russo, terrible, terrible. <laughs> All
3: right, so yeah, so our, our wrestling upcoming and background. Uh, Notice none of that has
2: anything to do with New Japan Pro Wrestling.
3: <laughs> yeah, we can do, I think we've, we've talked about before how we got into to New Japan. So yeah, we could also, we could probably do another podcast down the line about that, but Yeah, yeah. That was our intro into wrestling. But yeah, let's jump into uh, New Japan. Oh, one
2: thing I wanted to also say, shout out to Rich and James over at One Nation Radio. And thank you, the valuable listeners who have been um, listening on their individual feed. They just recently, uh, you know, got, um, what is it? What's the terminology?
3: Uh, Qualify for ads on their solo feed
2: yeah so that's gonna help out what they do and it helps out with the uh what we are doing with this network so thank you guys for you know subscribing and listening and shout out to those guys and congrats so we can all you know make fat stacks
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, also i want to give a shout out to uh danny Kukler from uh here on social suplex podcast network did a uh, podcast with joe lanza from the voices of wrestling flagship podcast on his uh Show called Meet the Press Slam. He'll bring on different uh, members of the wrestling media on there. and he had, I am an alumni of that show. Yeah, and he had uh, Joe Lance on this past weekend talking about WrestleMania 39 and WrestleMania weekend. thought it was a pretty good episode. It's one of Danny's highest uh, downloaded shows, so go ahead and check that out on the network feed. It's a really good episode. Great job, Danny. Consummate professional. Right, so uh, now let's uh, jump into New Japan. So uh, last week, uh, as we, you know, put our episode out into the cloud, uh, the New Japan Cup finals were happening. So let's talk about uh, this New, Jap- New Japan Cup final show and everything that went down there.
2: Now, uh, when you guide me through, are you going to remember all the like little things like the video packages and uh, the stories and stuff?
3: <laughs> yeah, I got, I got I got some notes here, so.
2: Should. We don't always do so good at that. Sometimes we'll, like, overlook it, and I'll be like, damn, we didn't talk about that globe. What was that?
3: <laughs> well, we got some questions about, about the globe. or Some people are calling it an, an alien, uh, so we'll talk oh, about Oh, shit. It's Chris Batlin. <laughs> I know it, though. <laughs> she is a member of chaos, right? I don't know at this point who <laughs> isn't, isn't a member of chaos anymore. <laughs> is there is there even a chaos anymore? I think
2: there might be. I don't know. It's hard to say.
3: Well, Leah Rush says he's chaos for life, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so show opened up We had uh, Doki and Taichi Of just five guys Defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi And Yuto Nakashima um, Kind of your basic opener match here I don't think there was really any Story developments here It's kind of a opener match
2: The only big story development is With Will Ospreay being out That necessitated a replacement To be sought after for the upcoming what is it called? I want to call it Multiverse of Madness, but I, is that what the name of the show it's,
3: is? Uh, hold on. I have it here on the rundown. It's, let's see. The Historic
2: Crossover. <laughs> and
3: <laughs> It's uh, Impact Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling present Multiverse United. Only the Strong Survive.
2: Oh my god, that is the fucking longest name. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, on the NJPW slash Impact show from uh, this upcoming Wrestlemania weekend, uh, we found out in the post-match of, or, you know, in the uh, backstage comments that Hiroshi Tanahashi would be subbing in for an injured Will Ospreay to take on um, Mike, speedball Mike Bailey. So I kind of feel like this was a little bit of a, like, get a win under your belt so you can be in contention to be on the show, essentially. But uh, they lost though. Oh, did they lose? I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) All I know is that, Even despite the loss, he went backstage and said, I'm on the show. I'm next. (laughs) So for some reason, that got me thinking they won. (laughs) I said this is the most prepared I've ever been for a show.
3: (laughs) So uh, following that, we had uh, Rei Oiwa and Shota Umino defeating the TMDK members of Kosei Vegeta and Zack Sabre Jr. So this matchup was to preview the upcoming NJPW World Television title match between Shota Umino and Zack Sabre Jr. Shota getting that title shot after defeating Zack in the New Japan Cup and challenging Zack and Zack granting the title match. And, of course, also another story here, um, you know, all the Young Lions, they're they're after Fujita, so Oiwa uh, and Fujita here mixing it up, and Oiwa really going after Fujita because all of them think that Gita has, you know, a big head now that since he's been a a member of a faction, member of TMDK and being under the wing of Zack Sabre
2: Jr. You know, I wonder how much of that is based in what is being um, communicated in the post-match comments and how much of that is just Kevin Kelly letting his imagination run wild. I feel like he's taking liberties with that story. And, it's, and this is not a condemnation of it. I love it. It's, like, really good fan fiction that's, like, emboldening what's going on with the Oiwa story. Or not Oiwa, uh, Fujita.
3: Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, Oiwa and Umino gets the win. Umino uh, picks up, hits the uh, the Death Rider on Fujita. Get the win here. And, yeah, challenges Zach post-match. Uh, and Zach accepts.
2: Two things. Whatever happened to Kevin Knight getting a TV title shot against Zack Sabre? Did I imagine that that happened? That he came out and tried to challenge him? He he did,
3: and Zack said, "Never
2: mind that." (laughs) Back of the line, kid. They don't want us to. They don't want us to remember (laughs) (laughs) what was going on with Kevin Knight. Yeah, you know. Um, Also, the other thing too is uh, I've been paying attention to Shota Umino. And how he throws that Death Rider, and you know, Jeremy, I think he throws it pretty good. I don't know what your criticism was. You were saying he he doesn't hit it that impactful. I I thought this one looked pretty good.
3: This one does, but sometimes I don't know it comes off a little clunky. I don't know. I feel like I think
2: I think now that you said that, I'm gonna pay special attention, and when it's bad, I'm gonna point it out. When it's good, I'm gonna be like, "Oh, Jeremy Donovan's opinion in the bin,
3: (laughs) (laughs) in the mud," as the kids say. Uh, next match, we have. We are the kids. <laughs> uh, we have the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens, El Fantasmo, and the strong openweight champion Kenta. They defeated the never openweight champion Tamatanga, Tomioka Hanma, and Tomohiro Ishii, eight minutes and 14 seconds. Um, seems like they're building up some kind of story between Chase Owens and Ishii from this match. Um, they're going at, at each other throughout the match and then post match there's a little brawl between those guys as well. Um we know also ELP, he's kind of, you know, been revolting against uh Dave Finley kind of coming in the group, and it seems like he's been trying to kind of band with Chase and Kenta during this tour.
2: Yeah, it's almost like an election. They're trying to garner support from their uh you know constituents. So they can win the, uh, you know, the election. I think that there might need to be a Bullet Club leader election for the first time ever.
3: <laughs> yeah, have a ELP and Finley go out there,
2: campaign. No, what it really does remind me of is like back, okay, so like in the old days of pro wrestling, like say like the like early 1900s or like the late 1800s, you would read, like if you read history, it'll be like this guy claimed he was champion and this guy had a claim it as being champion. And because there's literally no companies and there's no sanctioning bodies, it's just like 14 champions. And it's like and then as this person is going through their career, they're like they bolstered their claim by doing X, Y, Z. And it's like they're claimants. I feel like that's what's going on in the Bullet Club. Nobody is the leader. You just have claimants. And I feel like ELP is trying to garner support for his claim while the same thing is kind of happening with David Finley, you know?
3: Yeah, I mean, we've kind of seen that with Bull Club history. When uh, a leader is leaving, yeah, the next guy kind of comes in, takes takes a claim, and, yeah, they they become the leader. And so, yeah, ELP's like, yeah, I I should be next. So, yeah, he's he's making his claim here. And he got to win this match as a CR2 on Hanma. And they know he's walking, post-match, you know, he's walking down the ramp and he's like, Finley, you better win it. You better win. (laughs) Win the cup for the club, bring it home. And so, because if you don't, <laughs> <laughs> back of the line. <laughs> so, then, uh, next matchup, we have the House of Torture, Dick Togo, Evil, Show, and Yudro Takahashi defeating El Esperado, Ren Narita, and Rish, Taguchi and Toro Yano, two minutes and 45 seconds. So, really quick matchup here with House of Torture jumping, um, Despi, Narita, Taguchi, and Yano, beginning of the match, and Uh, Yudro hitting Taguchi with the wrench, um, hitting the the big juice, uh, pitting Taguchi, and then post-match, they're beating these boys down. They rip off the mask of Desperado. Uh, They get their uh, black spray paint out, and they spray hot (laughs) on the the torso of uh, Narita.
2: I mean I've never agreed more <laughs> with Evil. <laughs> I was like, yes, that man is hot. You're correct. That is <laughs> that is accurate. <laughs> I don't know how that is uh, detrimental. I mean, maybe just cuz he's got to go and shower off the paint, but uh, you know, it is true. It, it's that's a lot nicer than what Ruby Soho and the other degenerates over at uh, AW. They're putting L's on the girls for loser.
3: Yeah. Yeah, kind of unfortunate that yeah the abbreviation for how to torture is hot because you're just you're just telling everybody they're hot.
2: <laughs> well, you know, th- there's something to that. I mean, keeping a strong style is kiss. <laughs>
3: yes, kiss boys. So, uh, so we should
2: we should we should come up with a new logo where it's you and I standing side by side, but our faces are painted up like kiss. Mm. And you would be Gene Simmons, and I would be like Ace Fraley or something like that. I, I, I think that's the guy's name.
3: I have a feeling we'll be getting hit with a cease and desist on that one.
2: We'll change it a little bit, like Fire Pro. Mm. We'll, we'll do Just
3: slightly. We'll do red and black face paint, <laughs> match our logo.
2: I mean, WCW had a kiss demon. They got away <laughs> with it. <laughs> uh, no, but um, in all seriousness, um, this match right here, 3.75. I grade on a down scale when it comes to House of Torture matches. The shorter it goes the more stars it accrued. <laughs> oh my gosh. If this had gone one minute, five stars.
3: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, it was a uh, nice and short and essentially this was at an angle that they, you know, beating these guys down, they unmasked death twice and laid a challenge out for the never six man titles. They knew Suzuki wasn't in the building. So they took advantage to beat down Uh, two-thirds of the uh, trio's champions here.
2: Right now, Suzuki's sort of playing double duty, similar to like... It seems like right now, lately, every month, there's been somebody that's embroiled in multiple feuds for titles, and right now, Suzuki's kind of that guy. He not only has the storyline going where he's chasing Kenta for the strong openweight title, but him and his trio, Strong Style, which they stole that name from us, um, they're also involved in this ongoing feud with house of torture for the never six man title. So kind of pulling double duty there, but also you forgot to mention they did unmask Despy and left him laying without a mask. I said that that took, took the mask oh, my off, bad.
3: Took it off twice.
2: I don't be listening.
3: Got <laughs> <laughs> yeah, took it off in the ring. And then uh, on the ramp, Narita and Despy were trying to attack them still and then beat them down again. And they pulled the, the mask off again.
2: Have you noticed that lately, uh, Chris Charlton and Kevin Kelly have changed their pronunciation to Despe. I have noticed that, yeah. I'm not changing it. It's Despe. <laughs> period. I don't even know. I don't even care if that's inaccurate. That's just what it is.
3: It is what it is. Uh, next matchup here, we had the LIJ team of Shingo Takagi and Tetsuya Naito defeating the United Empire team. Of Aaron Hanare and the champion of the British The Great Ocon, 12 minutes and 43 seconds Uh, This tag was mainly uh, built around uh, the rivalry between Shingo and Aaron Hanare As they have an upcoming KO PW Championship matchup And also it seems like they're teasing a potential uh, Rev Pro British title match Between the Great Ocon and Tetsuya Naito
2: yeah, Naito in the post-match was saying something to the extent that he's really not interested in the rep Pro title on on any level. But if he did happen to win it, wink, wink, he would just throw it in the air and discard it. Very similarly to how he's treated the IWGP and more notably Inter- uh, IWGP Intercontinental titles in the past. Yeah, So, yeah, and he got the the
3: quick uh, roll-up pin on Okan this match. So, you know, he does kind of have a claim to get a title match. So we'll see if they uh, move forward with with that in upcoming shows. Um, Then uh, following that, we had a uh, matchup here between the United Empires, Jeff Cobb, and Aussie Open. They defeated the Chaos team of Hiroki Goto, Kazuchika Okada, and Yoshihashi. And uh, building up here, Aussie Open, who are wanting to challenge Bishamon for the tag team titles.
2: Yeah, I thought this was a, a very, very good undercard match and a good preview. And yeah, it got me excited, um, which I, I, we all throughout this tour, we've been you know kind of highlighting how incredible it's going to be to see Bishamon and Aussie Open lock horns once again. And uh, this kind of proved that to an even greater extent, and it did not disappoint whatsoever. And, um, you know, the only thing that kind of, I don't know, sucks in the back end is just like with Jeff Cobb. And, I mean, I guess I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. We have uh, the upcoming thing with him and Kenny Omega this coming Wednesday. And, you know, at the post-match, he's still trying his damnedest to build a a program between him and Kenny Omega. But he's just like the old man shouting into the wind by himself. (laughs) Like...
3: Yeah, so yeah, throughout this match, you know, he was, you know, doing, you know, the Kenny, you know, gun mannerisms, and, you know, he was, you know, kind of imitating Kenny throughout the match, and yeah, post-match, you know, on the ramp, saying, you know, Kenny, I'm, I'm gonna have to come to you, since you won't come to me, and yeah, it's really trying to build this program for an angle they shot back in January. In, uh, I, feel like, I feel like
2: Okada had to be watching him do all that shit, and just chuckling himself, like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, well, yeah. This is basically John Cena trying to build a match with The Undertaker for WrestleMania by himself. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, so yeah, so Cobb is going to get a, a U.S. title match uh, coming up this Wednesday on AEW Dynamite, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but then after that matchup, here's where business picked up on this show.
2: We had wait, the- w- w- did the did the the globe happen
1: yet?
3: Uh... Th- Think it did? Yeah. Did you
2: skip over the globe?
3: (laughs) I was gonna cut to it after the match, but we we can talk about it now. We we had yeah the promo video of you know something is coming. This kind of weird like globe and I I don't even know how how else to describe it. Uh, But we did have a a couple questions about it. Uh, okok Eight ninety says, when do you think the mystery person will debut at Sakura or Dantaku or maybe even later? Do you think the mystery person is a returning young lion? If not, then who is big enough to get a mystery vignette? And MJ's PR says, can we wildly speculate about who the space alien
2: crashing into Japan is? Now, there was a lot of Japanese text, and I haven't gone deep enough into the lore to chase after what was written or what was said. But I, I think Chris Charlton may have kind of given us the translation anyways. Just seemed like they were saying something is coming, essentially, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, could it be the Android?
3: Here's the thing. I mean, I don't think these young L.A. Dojo guys are going to get vignettes if they're coming in. Like, they're just going to be on a show.
2: I know, but that's just the DBZism in me wanting it to be <laughs> the Android. Right. I think that he should add a number behind his nickname. He should. Yeah, that would be dope. Like, the Android 22. <laughs> um... <laughs>
3: You know, they say something is coming. It could be Jake something who we've seen on uh, NJPW Strong uh, before the weekly show shut down.
2: Here's what I'll say about that. Well, I guess, okay, before we get to that, there's a few different categories of guys that this could, and you and I have talked a little bit off air. There's a few different categories of guys that this could potentially be, right? It could maybe be um, someone returning from excursion right it could be you know they've got you and suji and some others that have gone through the dojo system and we're waiting to call them back and i think a lot of people are expecting that the other thing that it could be too it could be any number of guys that are in the new japan system that just aren't part of the domestic product you know people from strong People part of the LA Dojo system, that sort of thing. That's less likely, but it is possible. I guess Jake, something might fall under that, but I kind of lump it more into like the wider spectrum of just freelance uh, free agents that exist on the Indies, right? Yeah. Then it could potentially be someone that is coming into Japan, but maybe isn't necessarily signing with New Japan exclusively this is like a forbidden door type situation. Someone from impact or AEW or one of their other various partners that is working with them. Like, you know, I saw Chris Samsa put out a tweet and, you know, I want to give him the credit. And he was saying, you know, not too long ago, Brian Danielson was going by the name, the planet's champion. There's a globe. I think that's in his like bio. Maybe there's a connection, you know, it could be something like that. Like a big stars coming in from outside. If it wasn't one of those, and because there's already those three categories, either a dojo guy or someone from the greater New Japan expanded universe or one of their partners, because there's so many guys that are already within the system that are not working domestically in Japan, for them to break out a vignette and me to think it was somebody further out, like a Jake something... I would be kind of perplexed by that when you have so many people already waiting in the wings to kind of come over and make their jump into Japan. Nothing against a Jake something specifically. You know, he's a great talent. I think we've both said when we've seen him, we think that there's something there. Yeah. But um, I would just be a little perplexed if they were plucking from the greater independent talent pool. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. And, you know, maybe he he impressed on his you know a few strong appearances, but yeah, I, I do possible. Agree, I do agree a few that it seems like you know when guys get vignettes, I feel like you know the last several years most vignettes have been for young lions returning. You know, we saw the the master Wato vignettes, the Hiromu Takahashi, the Jay White uh, vignettes, Mox, yeah, John Moxley. Um, so yeah, and this is kind of similar to the Moxley vignettes where. You only saw like a, a guy's like feet kind of walking and some kind of mystery guy like with mocks. We only saw the body in, in the bar with the Death Rider jacket. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned it could be any possibility, but hopefully it is something, you know, pretty substantial considering this person's
2: getting a vignette. Here's the thing. We always get it wrong anyway. So, I mean, it's kind of a waste of breath for us to.
3: Yeah, remember, it's fun
2: to do this, but we're always wrong.
3: Remember when we all thought, yeah, the, the mock guy
2: was going to be uh, Chris Brooks. <laughs> I thought it was going to be Davy Boy Smith Jr. making his return. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, one other thing we haven't considered is maybe it's a repackage mm-hmm. of someone that's already on the roster. Like, you know, I'm just throwing this out there. What if it was like, say, I'm not saying it's going to be him, but just a, for example, what if they repackaged Kushida? And they mm-hmm. wanted to reintroduce him and make a big splash. Something like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah. if it was like, and I, I'm going to go back to it because you threw the name out there, Jake. Something something is coming, you know. If they decided to do something like that, it would need to be, they're going in on this guy. They see potential. They think he needs like a, a fresh coat of paint. And they, they're they literally going to treat him like a Mox or like a Jonah or something like that, like a guy that's coming in and getting a monster push out the gate. That's kind of what I would hope it would be if it was something like that. But um, I got to tell you, I just think it's Suji. He seems like he's wrapping things up over in uh, Rep Pro. And unless he's going down to Mexico for a short little brief learning excursion, I think he's coming home.
3: Yeah, it could definitely be Suji. and also, But also I'm thinking, you know, we're right around the corner from Bass uh, Super Juniors. And we've also that's seen – We've seen vignettes for juniors, uh, Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori, Elf El Phantasmo, these guys, you know, coming in around Super Juniors getting these vignettes that, you know, a new junior is coming. Um, so who knows, you know, um, maybe it's some new junior, you know, speedball Mike Bailey has been a guy that's been doing a lot of, you know, New Japan adjacent stuff and could potentially come in. Uh, you know, kind of jumping ahead in the news, you know, uh, Dan Maloney has joined uh, United Empire and he's considered a, a junior. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's some new or who knows, maybe even a freelancer or some new uh, domestic Japanese talent. Uh, that's going to be a junior coming in for best Super
2: juniors. Um, What if it's Kato Kiyomiya? <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, well, you know, we're on the street is he's in. uh America with the great muta talking to uh WWE.
2: That's what I'm saying, bro. Like what if he's, I don't know. I don't know his contract status. What if he's like wrapping up with Noah and this whole thing about kind of cluing him in to new Japan. Wasn't so like altruistic at all. Like what if it was intended to be like the cross bridge to get him to new <laughs> yeah. Japan? Yeah, maybe, And maybe he's, you know, he's pulling
3: a, an Ishimori where he's like, yeah, I'm going to the States for a little bit. <laughs> and then
2: comes back didn't, it, didn't Sonata do the same thing I basically think, yeah <laughs> that's hilarious yeah like he's like oh, I'm just gonna you know I'm just gonna go hold this dude's bags you know just gonna go make a couple connections maybe I'll pick up a little work here or there Shinihan, <laughs> you never know bro so I don't know who it is but yeah but I, ho- I just hope it's not Chris Statlander <laughs> <laughs> well, we
3: need some challengers for the uh, IWGP women's title.
2: That's a title that could go away after Mercedes goes back to <laughs> WWE. Uh, we'll talk about that uh,
3: a little bit later. Uh, so moving on, uh, we had the business end of this card. Uh, first with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match. We had the ticking time bomb, the champion Hiromu Takahashi successfully defend and defeat Leo Rush, the man of the hour, 21 minutes and 27 seconds.
2: Yeah, what a fantastic, fantastic match this was. Um, I don't think that there was any doubt that it was going to be very good considering the level of talent that was involved here. And if you've been paying any attention on the undercards uh, all throughout the New, new Japan Cup tour... Uh, every single time these two guys interacted at the top of the uh, undercards in those multi-man tag matches between chaos and lij they just really had a lot of chemistry it reminded me quite a bit of the times when we've seen uh junior will osprey on the opposite side of lij tag team matches against um Hiromu when they had like junior title matches or, you know, super junior matches kind of coming up and you're always like, wow, the stuff they're doing, like this is going to be a great match. Kind of reminded me of that in a, in a way, but the match itself was um, just really great. Uh, it kind of like something that has been missing for a good couple of years now is there's no better way to say it. The flips, like the high athletic flips style of, you know, Japanese New Japan style junior wrestling moves, That's baby. Of, yeah, the moves. The 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 inc- as Dave Meltzer says, the incredible, incredible moves. moves. <laughs> um, th- this is not to besmirch what's been going on with the junior division because there's been some really great stuff the past couple of years for sure, and they've done a great job building up some major stars and you know making some um headway into like working with other companies all sorts of really cool interesting things and there's been some fantastic junior matches uh, as recently as just the other month when yo challenged for the title against hiromu i loved that match and i feel like that's something that people are going to sort of overlook and it's already kind of forgotten because we're we're only three months into the year there's been so many great matches occurring in the world of wrestling Um, It would be a shame if we forgot how great that one was. But what's been missing is this centralized style of junior wrestling that New Japan sort of made famous with the high flying, the high fast paced, high octane style with lots of flips, lots of outside dives, lots of speedy reversals. And I have enjoyed what New Japan's been doing recently where they've kind of worked in because I don't think that that's indicative of w- of the only thing junior style wrestling can be. We saw that all-star junior festival recently, and there's a wide spectrum of what constitutes junior wrestling. And I think it's great when we see the mat wrestling and, you know, the, the uh, dangerous neck drops and like the, uh, you know, strong style with the big strikes and, and you know, the, the spirit, everything like that, that stuff's great. But, The last couple of years, unless you're talking about a Doki match or like a Robbie Eagles top-end match, we just haven't seen a lot of this. It's been a while since we've seen a balls-to-the-wall, high-octane title match in New Japan, and that's what this was. And down the line, I mean, the story here was supposed to be essentially Hiromu Takahashi cannot keep up with the speed of Leo Rush. Therefore, he's going to have to utilize his power and his size to neutralize the speed advantage that leo rush has and we kind of saw that play out and then down the stretch it kind of became a, a story where leo was utilizing his speed advantage and he could definitely be on top when it came to Hiromu, but he couldn't put Hiromu away he couldn't get that finalized death blow to to definitively defeat the champion. And the champion was always able to kick out of everything that he did. And then it kind of became, it came down to a slug match, like where both guys are just beating the tar out of each other down the stretch. And it's like, whoever's going to stay standing is the guy that's going to win this. And ultimately, through a a wide, crazy series of reversals, Hiromu hit him with Time Bomb 2, got him out of there. And to me, I was like, this is like a prize fight. Like, the way it played out down the stretch, it was like a Rocky match, which, oh, congratulations. Congratulations, uh, Jeremy, finally seeing some of the Creed's.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I saw uh, Creed 3 this weekend, so all caught up on the the Creed series now.
2: Nice, but uh, that's what this kind of reminded me of. Like, it was very, like, it it crescendoed into this, like, tit for tat where these guys are are going blow for blow, and when it it finally came down to uh, a measure of, Heart and will and spirit, as much as um, you know, um, freaking Leo Rush had on on display. He wasn't able to out heart and out strength and out strike. from Takahashi. This was a fantastic match.
3: Yeah, I, I love this match. And like you mentioned, we've been talking about this for a while with the the junior division, especially during the pandemic. Um, just how the styles kind of changed and how we're kind of missing that high-speed, high-action, big flips in the junior division. And, you know, the backbone of New Japan junior wrestling over the last several years have been uh, the foreigners. You know, Will Ospreay, Ricochet, Prince Devitt, uh, Kenny Omega when he was a junior, uh, Robbie Eagles. You, you can look throughout... You know, the last several years, ACH, you know, Alex Shelley, Chris Saban, there's been a ton of great foreigners that really bolster this division. Uh, Dragon Lee, some of the luchadors that come in and just do these incredible flips and dives. You know, Bandito, this, this high sp- high uh, pace, you know, high speed, you know, all-out incredible moves. And that's been missing over the last couple of years during the pandemic. You know, we're starting to get foreigners um, back into Japan and so, yeah, having a guy like Leo Rush, who's incredibly talented um, in this division, challenging Hiromu was exactly what the division needed, It's exactly what Hiromu needed. I thought this was one of Hiromu's kind of uh, best performances in a while. I, do, I did like the Yo match, but, um, you know, Hiromu has altered his style due to the injuries, you know, coming back from the broken neck uh, several years ago. He hasn't been quite the same. He's altered his style to do a little bit more kind of strike base, more impact maneuvers. Well, here we kind of got a little bit of the old Romu where he had to try to keep up with Leo rush in in Leo's, you know, fast paced evasive style. And so we saw a lot of that uh, throughout this matchup here. And then Leo just did a lot of really just incredible stuff. Uh, There was this one um, springboard flip die he did toward the outside. Uh, That was awesome. Um, Great uh, poison rana throughout the match. So Leo had a lot of really great moves, and uh, his tag partner Yo was uh, sucking him in this match. And there was times throughout the match where you know he was using some of uh, Yo's offense. Um, he did uh, Yo's uh, DMV that got a near fall. Uh, he did Yo's direct drive, uh, which he used to uh, try to follow up with the uh, the rush hour frog splash. But Hermod was able to get his knees up. Uh but like you mentioned in the end, yeah, was able to uh hit the time bomb too and uh put Leo away. Really incredible match. I went four and a half stars on here. Um, you know, early contender for uh to be in junior match of the year. Uh great stuff here.
2: Yeah, just I really loved it. Great job uh recounting all those uh, you know, famous Gaijin names from this division. Um yeah, just the dynamicism and the athleticism that was on display is something that's been sorely missing, uh, the past couple of years in this junior division. And yeah, really, really, really enjoyed this. Um, another thing too is like what you mentioned with Hiromu. I, I I do think it's, it is the case after breaking his neck and then coming back and rehabbing and then continuing because I, I don't think there's a doubt that when he came back after the broken neck, he was still, for the most part, doing most of the same things he'd been doing prior to that injury. And then he tore his pec.
1: Mm, yeah. And then
2: he was out even longer. And then he returned. And every now and again, you might see a crazy sent-on to the outside. Or you might see... You know something that's that's a little wild, but for the most part, Hiromu has really t- like uh, tuned down what he does, and not only that, but he's also slowed down a little bit. And I think the reality is, at this stage of his career, the fundamentals that he learned as a young lion are kind of carrying him through because he can still have an incredible match, and he can be an incredible base. And I think the fact that he's kind of leaning into being almost more of a power junior, even though that's not his reputation, for those of us that are paying attention, that's kind of the conversations you and I have been having is that like he's almost more – and that's, that became – we've been saying this for like a good six to eight months, you and I, but that was the story of this match was that he was the power guy as opposed to the speed and, and crazy guy. And like I don't think he can do that. He can't go out there and live life like he's Doki anymore. You know, (laughs) right, like he just can't do that. Like, he can't throw caution to the wind and just be a Darby Allen or be a Jeff Hardy. Like, that's not in the cards for Hiromu at this point. Yeah, he Um, he can't live that ism life. Yeah, that ism. (laughs) (laughs) Um, last thing, and I know we got some questions here. There were a lot of people out there that were disappointed in this outcome because for the past few number of years, whether it be best of the super juniors or some other accolade it seems like Hiromu is a perennial top guy in this division and a lot of people were ready for them to do something slightly different there was the storyline where Leo Rush was the first you know potential American champion in 11 years and I think because not only that but a lot of people really enjoy what Leo Rush brings to the table they were kind of ready for them to crown a new champion and maybe go in a different direction and Obviously, there's a whole plethora of enticing challengers and first-time matchups when it comes to Leo Rush. And they didn't go that way. And I think for me, and, and I'll, I'll let you answer, for me, I think that we kind of honed in January 5th that there might be the intention to give Hiromu a legendary title reign. And over the course of time, we're, start, we're starting to see and hear where that – is what he's saying in the backstage comments. And that's sort of what's being proliferated by Kevin Kelly on the commentary desk that like this guy's goal is 12 defenses. And so for me, I never thought that he was going to lose this match, but a lot of fans were upset about it. What are your thoughts?
3: Yeah. Like you're saying, I didn't think that Leo was going to win based off what we've been saying and kind of saw and what herman has been saying. You know, I know sometimes guys will say stuff in the backstage and it doesn't really lend to what's actually going to happen moving forward, but we've also seen uh, the New Japan websites kind of publish these interviews and publish these comments of Hiromu wanting to break the defense record. And it's not a one-time thing. Like, There's been several comments, there's been several interviews, and there's definitely this kind of clear story for Hiromu in this title run that he wants to break the, the all-time defense record for this title and I think the narrative would, would, wouldn't would be as good if they ended it so quickly. It's only, what, Leo was his, what, second defense uh, of his title reign so far?
2: I'm literally looking that up on Cage Match as we speak.
3: Yeah, because... <laughs> I knew that's what you were going to ask next. Yeah, because he won, he beat, he won it in January, and then he beat Yo. Uh, yeah, you're correct. New Beginning. So, yeah, Leo was only the second, um, you know, contender. So, perhaps if this, he was, like, you know, 10 deep, then the potential of Leo winning and stopping him on his quest, that could have been more interesting. Uh, but, you know, only a second defense in. I think, you know, for the story to kind of build up and to tease him not being able to do it, it needs to go a little bit longer. So I was never thinking that he was going to lose a title here. Mm, gotcha.
2: Very, very interesting. We have some questions here. Yeah,
3: uh, before that, because some of the questions deal with the post-match. Uh, so oh, after the yeah, match, yeah. Uh, Zach Sabre Jr., Came out and the crowd's kind of buzzing because it's like you know, well, Zach's not a junior, um, so he gets on the mic and he says, uh, you know, the the next I mean, challenger. I mean,
2: Zach is kind of a junior though.
3: <laughs> hey, he's put on <laughs> some weight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Zach says you know the the next uh, junior challenger is going to be the the newest member of TMDK. They go to the screen, so we get the the promo video, and it's our good friend. Robbie Eagles uh, announcing that he is now a member of TMDK. He is mighty. The mighty do not kneel. He's tired of being skipped over in chaos, and he wants a shot at Hiromu. So, uh, Robbie Eagles is next in line for the junior heavyweight title.
2: Yeah, this was something that was kind of caught me off guard because I, um, like I mentioned at the top of the show, I've been pretty busy. So... I had to watch, I didn't watch the show in real time. I had to split it up over two days Mm -hmm. and I was basically spoiled going into the final few matches. Like I knew who won and everything like that, which does suck, but that's just the reality of my busy work life. However, for whatever reason I had misread what I thought I saw. And I thought it said that Robbie Eagles had joined United Empire and I was like, oh, that makes sense. You know, there was this ongoing story in the other companies that they were trying to recruit him. They were giving him an armband and yada, yada. So it makes sense. So the whole time, I'm thinking ahead of me watching this that he did join United Empire. So then Zach comes out and I'm like, the fuck is Zach Saber doing here? <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's probably going to make an offer to Robbie and then Robbie's going to turn him down and actually join Will. That makes sense. Okay, here we go. And then it's like, no, he's part of Team DK. And I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. I just completely misread what I I thought I saw. And this man's part of Team DK. Also, I didn't recognize Robbie Eagles. You know why? Why? He didn't have any bandanas on in the video. And I was like, (laughs) who is that? (laughs) I swear to God, I didn't know who he was for like half a second.
3: (laughs) Uh, so yeah, so we have some questions here uh, from Reddit User OK OK890. Okay, uh, first says, was Robbie to TMDK instead of the Empire the right choice? Do you think he might teach Fujita some high-speed flippy stuff?
2: I hope so. That would be awesome. Um <laughs> I think that everybody in wrestling should know some high-speed flippy stuff, no matter what size they are, um, including Zach. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um in all seriousness. I think that uh, this is an incredible get for TMDK. We've been talking for a while uh, about how big of fans we are of Robbie Eagles, especially the last few years. But he sort of kind of felt stifled a little bit being in the chaos you know, mix because it's not just him, but for a while it was Show and Yo and – will Ospreay and then later leo rush and it just kind of felt a little bit like a revolving door of a lot of junior guys with no singular focus on any really any one of them except for when will was like the centerpiece and now he's kind of busted out he's in a group that has this kind of new sort of tweener feel and they're kind of still carving their own niche TMDK is very fresh they've got gold with uh you know zach and he's doing his thing and Um, you know, even though the Maya don't kneel aren't here right now, like down the line when they return, there's big things on the horizon for them. And Robbie is like the singular focused junior guy, which he's kind of needed to be like the focal point of a group for some time now. And since he's, you know, gone through Bullet Club and now through chaos, he's never really been that singular focal point, even when he was the champion in chaos. It just didn't feel like there was a lot of you know, central attention on him. So I feel like this is a great move. He's with like-minded individuals from similar regions of the country, similar backgrounds. There's probably a bond there and, you know, histories that we might not even be privy to. I saw him work, uh, you know, Mad Mikey Nichols and EPW last year, and that was a great match. So I know that those guys have chemistry and um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what progresses with his character and his presentation moving forward as a member of TMDK.
3: Yeah, I think this is a a great move here. Like you're saying, yeah, Robbie, he's super talented and should be, you know, the highlighted junior in a faction. And, you know, New Japan, they're they're going full steam with this kind of new rebranded uh, TMDK with Zack Sabre Jr. as the front man. And so, you know, they're putting a lot of fuel into this, you know, uh, ever since Jonah left, you know, giving Zack the faction, you know, using uh, Mad Mikey and Shane Hayes, they still have Bad Dude Tito as part of the group. They got uh, Fujita as their young lion, and now Robbie as their you know H Junior. So they're really building up this faction and um, bolstering up TMDK. So I think it's a good move. Like you said, I'm interested to see yeah what how his kind of character development it's going to be because um, you know I wasn't a, a big fan of Robbie as a heel in Bullet Club. I just didn't think that fit him and I thought he was great as a baby face in chaos but like you said he didn't get a lot of the the shine and focus that he should get and so with TMDK more kind of tweener leaning and not kind of you know that you know that cheating more bull club style I do think that might suit him better um and he could probably thrive in this role
2: one thing before we answer another question um taking a look at the history I found I, I must have been mistaken. For some reason, I thought Prince Devitt held the all-time defense record. That's incorrect. It's actually Minoru Tanaka under the guise of Heat. Heat. Yeah, when he was Heat, he held the title between December 14, 2003, all the way to January fourth, two 2005. So a little bit over a year, he held this title, and he defended it 11 times successfully. So not only would if Hiromu is going to like successfully break this defense record, he's going to have to hold it for a long time. He's also going to have to defend it pretty regularly because I'm looking at this guy's defense uh, schedule and like, it looks like he, um, he was like probably active even during like the G1 season as Mm -hmm. well. You know what I mean? Yeah. It'd be hard. I think in today's modern times with the way that they kind of, branch out the schedule, it would be difficult for a junior to actually break this record in this amount of time unless like they're coming over for those US dates and defending the title or something like that.
3: Yeah, Rocky did tease that during the summer months the juniors would be in America and kind of be the focus point on these uh New Japan of America pay-per-views. So yeah, maybe during G1 July, August he can get two defenses during that time period where they typically wouldn't do defenses.
2: It does look like though that he also had two title defenses in the US during that time during the Inoki Dojo period. Mm. So like he came over and he defended the title against Rocky and Brian Danielson in 2004 in non-televised spots that were just like local, you know, LA shows. So that kind of like artificially not that those weren't real, but you know what I mean? Like they're not on tape. We can't see them. It sort of gave him a little bit of a enhanced benefit as opposed to some of the other champions that he's contemporaries with uh, from that time.
3: Yeah. Uh, next question here says, is the champion, is this championship run the best version of for since
2: his injury? Yes, it is. And I mean, that's kind of the little secret here. I know that there are people complaining that, you know, about Hiromu's spot in this division, because even when he's not the champion, he's always kind of felt like the man. And yeah, I think that his string of wins and final appearances in Super Juniors has also kind of really added to that reputation. But the reality here is the only title um, reign that he's ever had that was substantial in any real way was his first title reign when he came back from Excursion. And that was like a six-month title reign with multiple defenses. I think it was like four, maybe five, something like that. Since then, he's never like defended more than twice successfully. So already, just de facto, yeah, this is his best title defense uh, record and reign since his return from excursion.
3: Yeah, and the two defenses, the the Yo match and this Leo match, were great matches in that four-and-a-half range. And Hirom looked really great in both of those matches. So, uh, yeah, I think we're in for a great run and, you know, I think to the the Western fan, they're probably sick of Hiromu and think he's being pushed too much. But domestically, he's a top star. He draws. The fans love him. Um, so it, it makes all sense in the world to continue to, to push him and make him, you know, kind of the head of the division.
2: I, I do understand that criticism. I do. And I'm not, like, saying there's nothing to it because I think that the thing that um, really adds to it is, like I mentioned all those times where he headlined the Tokyo Dome and then also headlined super juniors and won that tournament. He won it like back to back and then he almost repeated and was in the finals and everything like that. So from that standpoint, it feels like we've had a lot of Haroma, but the reality is, is like last time this guy held this title was in 2021. You know, it was only for 51 days prior to that. He held it in 2020 for a lengthy amount of time, but like, only defended it twice you know i mean like Mm -hmm. he hasn't had uh, a successful title reign with this belt since 2017 you know and during and i'm looking at the records here he had um one two three he had four successful title defenses before he dropped the title to kushida so and that was like a six-month reign that's the only substantial title reign he's had In his entire career, and yeah, he's held it four subsequent times, but he's never had a definitive title reign other than the first one that he had. I mean, almost what we're talking seven, eight years ago now.
3: Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, it makes a ton of sense why that what they're doing here. You know, they want him to kind of be the liger of of this generation, and he needs that you know that long, substantial title run. I, I think so. Uh, Last question here. Could you see Leo as a future junior champion if he sticks around?
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, he doesn't even have to stick around. It's like this is the 93rd title reign in the history of the IWGP junior title. And, yes, it is like the preeminent. I mean, in the history of junior wrestling, this is probably the most prestigious crown that exists, period. Mm -hmm. There might be other comparable Titles that have existed in history in other major companies, but none of them still do exist. This is the only one that has like persisted through time and and really been given the showcase. And even with that being the case, it's still Japan and there's still juniors, and it's still a title that's been held by a plethora of non-deserving individuals who've gotten, you know, kind of like terrible title reigns in the history of this company. So <laughs> And I'm not saying Leo Rush fits that, but what I am saying is that even if he wasn't signed, if they wanted to give him like a two month reign, that would be fine because he's Leo Rush and he could definitely do that. And if they wanted to work out a deal with him and keep him around and make him a real player in the division, that would be welcome too. So I mean I mean it's Leo Rush. I mean, this is a guy, he's held he's held gold pretty much everywhere already. So it's not that's not like something that's outside of the uh, the realm of possibilities whatsoever.
3: Yeah, I agree. I can definitely see Leo as a future champion. I think he's really found his home in New Japan. Like you mentioned, he's been all over the place. You know, he's been in WWE, AEW, ROH, MLW, Impact. He's been, you know, every big promotion there's been. Um, And also he's had mental health issues, injuries, retirements. Uh, But I feel like New Japan is the best place for him right now. And he's been thriving there. And I'm really excited to see I, well, I hope he's going to be in super juniors and I'm excited to see what he could do in a, uh, in a super juniors. And I do think that it would be smart down the line to give him a some kind of title
2: run. Yeah, I'm kind of looking right now just to kind of see what titles he has held. I mean, he's held the MLW like junior. T- I mean, they're not called junior titles, but I'm just going to call him that for you know clarity's sake. But he's been MLW junior champion and WWE junior champion. and he held a non-recognized triple-A junior title as well. So it's like he's been junior champion in quite a few places already. Yeah. In addition to the many other numerous championships he's held in his career beyond that.
3: Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on now to the main event of this show, the New Japan Cup 2023 final matchup. We had Handsome Sonata... Of just five guys defeating the rebel David Finley, nineteen minutes and fifty six seconds. Did you hear how he beat him? What do you mean? Do you know how he beat him? Oh, you're talking about his uh the, the name for his finisher now. Oh, you know it—the deadfall. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I thought it was going to be the smart guy, the only one in the room that knew the name.
3: Uh, yeah, I saw it on uh, Twitter
2: ear- earlier this afternoon. Yo, speaking of which, how fucking shitty is, I know we're going to talk about this match, but how fucking shitty is Twitter now? It's, yeah, it's pretty clunky now. It doesn't, like, okay, I'm glad it exists, remember when everyone's like, oh, it's going to go away, it's dying. Well, it didn't die, but like, Bro. Every time I log in, I feel like I see the same six people, and I'm like, we've got thousands of people. Like, I don't know where's the content. I used to see a lot more pertinent information, and now it's just, like, fight videos.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, both feeds, like the For You and then just the following feed, they're both very clunky. You see kind of the same people over and over again. you got to kind of search out for stuff you're looking for more than you used to do.
2: Yeah, I used, we used to get, like, people trying to get us to, you know, buy NFTs. That's gone. I don't – I miss it, you know? <laughs> but anyways, Sonata did defeat David Finley with the deadfall, 19 minutes and 56 seconds. And I got to tell you, Jeremy, I was pretty pleased that this match was only 19 minutes and 56 seconds. We've seen some pretty lengthy finals in the past, and I felt like um, – You know, I I thought it was a breath of fresh air that they went sub 20 minutes, honestly.
3: Yeah, I thought 20 minutes was the the perfect timing for a guy like Sonata and Dave Finley, uh, guys who are, you know, trying to get over new characters, new gimmicks, and haven't always, like we mentioned last week, really given that blow away, you know, New Japan style main event. Um, And so I thought this was a perfect timing for these two guys. And I thought the match ended up being really good. Um, You know, they were in Sonata's hometown and this crowd, I mean, for the whole show, the crowd was super hot for everything, great reactions, but especially when Sonata came out and in this matchup, they were living and breathing with everything Sonata was doing, and it just really helped elevate the match to another level.
2: Yeah, you and I talked about this off air, and I I agree. I thought this was a very good match. I wouldn't Um, label it as a great match. Although I thought, I thought that the the tail end closing stretch was kind of teetering on that. You know what I mean? I thought it was very good. I'd probably go about four stars flat, which is, it usually means pretty great.
3: That's where I'm at too. Four, four
2: flat. Yeah. I thought it was, but considering, considering the past reputations of these two wrestlers, this could have been far worse. And it, I thought it was very good. But um, I thought that the first half of the match was pretty pedestrian in the sense that it was your basic pro wrestling match. It started with lockup and chain wrestling and then a heat and then a cut off, or I'm sorry, then the shine and then the cutoff, and then the heat. and the heat was very, very, very prolonged, and then the comeback and then you know, and then they, they went into their big moves big reversals scenario down the stretch so this wasn't anything that you know uh, an untrained eye or mind would be you know like oh my god the layout of this match was so crazy but like you mentioned it didn't necessarily need to be because they were in Sonata's hometown so um even though I personally wasn't blown away by the heat control segments from Finley for instance like there's some other matches in this tournament where I felt like he was really vicious and really turned it on. And that side of him was on full display. This was a little bit more, I don't know. It it just wasn't as pronounced as we've seen in the past, but it didn't matter because every single time there was a hope spot or a comeback from Sonata, the crowd popped so loud for it that, these guys were working pretty smart. They got the most out of doing the littlest amount that they possibly could. Then once it started getting down to the, the nitty gritty and they started really laying in the shots and doing all the, the reversals and the comebacks and everything like that, this crowd was eating it up. And this was actually – that's something that we haven't even discussed. This uh, When you were kind of like bringing the – giving us the the lay, the lowdown of like what occurred on the night, it kind of sounded – almost like a regular like a cork and hall road to show and to some extent it kind of was but you know it was definitely angle heavy the show but what elevated it was this crowd Mm -hmm. this is the best crowd that we have seen in new japan since before the pandemic even happened excluding tokyo dome shows this was the most raucous and invested crowd We've seen in New Japan in years. And I know a lot of it has to do with it being a finals involving their hometown boy. But to me, this was a, a big sign of like life and hope when it comes to New Japan. And I was really happy about that. Yeah, but um, this crowd, yeah, they they were buzzing yeah, from the opening match. They were buzzing for everything. I mean, they were really fantastic. I felt like they gave some of those hotter... Um AEW crowds and even like the Montreal crowd in WWE run for their money a little bit. They were on par with some of those, you know, Arena Mexico shows we've seen on Friday nights. Very, very good. But for this match, they were this was not the match of the night. Uh the 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 junior match definitely was, but this crowd would tell you otherwise because they were unglued for this match. And the the last few minutes were just incredible back-and-forth wrestling, and I thought it was a great way to close out the show.
3: Yeah, that closing stretch was really good. Uh, you know, Finley was looking for the trash panda uh, all throughout, and he's trying to go for that, but Sonata reverses it into uh, Skull Uh Finley escapes that, and once again, they're, they're trading, trying to get their finishers, and Sonata lands a Shining Wizard, you know, paying homage to uh, his uh, teacher, the, the great Muta,
2: Kijimuto. Yeah, he came out from a trash pan and landed on his feet, which I think is the first time we've seen someone counter that move that way mm-hmm. to go into the Shining Wizard, which was, like, sort of unexpected.
3: Yeah, that was a dope reversal there. And then uh, Sonata falls up with the newly named Deadfall, that uh, the, like the Blade Runner into the DDT maneuver, uh, gets the win. Uh, then uh, post-match gets on the mic. He challenges... Okada to meet him down in the ring, and Okada just looked. He looked so pissed. Just had like this kind of like, <laughs> can't believe this. You know, this geek is calling me out here. Storms down, uh, to the ring and uh, you know, accepts the challenge.
2: Yeah, he had some choice words for Sonata. He called him uh, at one point he was like my rival. And if you recall, these guys had a four match series back in 2019. And at one point he called Sonata his great rival. And you and I at the time were very perplexed because their all time, like singles record was like Sonata had never beat them, beat the guy in like seven attempts up to that point. And then finally that year, he finally de- did defeat uh, Okada in a G1 match, which yeah. we all know what that means, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of the reason why a lot of people are soured on the idea of them doing this match all these years later, like these guys haven't even had a singles match since 2019. And people are like, I don't know if I want to see Sonata and Okada. <laughs> <laughs> this seems too soon. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, he called him his great rival. And then he was like, I've been on this level for a while and you haven't caught up. What took you so long bastard?
3: <laughs> yeah. And he, and he was like, there's a difference between being David Finley and, and beating Kazuchika Okada.
2: Yeah, but at one point um, after that, Sonata was like, you know what? I don't know what I was thinking inviting you down here. I'm going to have to kindly ask you to leave. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, because tonight's about me. I won the crown. I won the New Japan Cup. So good day, sir. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Okada was like, fuck you. And he just like left. (laughs) Um, Yeah, man. um, Sonata beat him. Uh, I called it last week and uh, I, I was able to uh, influence your decision to, uh, to ride with me on the, that one. Influencer. <laughs> influence. I am the influ- influencer, the young boy. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought this was great. Um, and I think it made all the sense in the world for, if you didn't listen last week, maybe go back and check those out. But uh, you know, this continues the ongoing tensions between ELP And David Finley, there's that uh, continued rift. This uh, definitely does not consolidate power within Bullet Club because the guy that's supposed to be the the leader who's supposed to win the big boy belt has failed in his first initial bid. That causes a vote of, you know, there's going to be a wavering in confidence of the underlings and now there's going to be a dispute there. So that's very much still in question, that whole entire thing. But in the meantime... Sonata's got a new look. I was disappointed though, Jeremy. We said that at least for the cup finals, he needs to display a new look. And what did this man do? He pulled out the same old funky tights <laughs> that he's been wearing <laughs> for two years. Plus,
1: what is this man thinking?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, shout out to uh front of show Karen Pearson. She had a great breakdown of you know all of when Sonata changes his gear. And yeah, you know it, it is. She
2: listened to the show.
3: <laughs> it's uh, time for his, uh, you know, you know, upgrade. And you'd think that this final matchup where he's winning would be the time for that. Um, but yeah, same old gear. So hopefully, you know, going into secure Genesis, he'll have new gear. I, I think he needs new music. You know, with this whole new change and going to just five guys, I think he needs maybe, you know.
2: maybe a new move set, maybe a new attitude, maybe a new, you know, philosophy on wrestling.
3: <laughs> you know, no, but oh, god You know, last week we, we you know we joked about him. You know, you know, ripping off uh, Jay White's uh, finisher sequences. Like, what did if he, he not? He did, but what if he like you know got like a trench coat, you know, <laughs> black gear with like dagger? What marks? if that's
2: the <laughs> twist? He's not really part of Just Five Guys. Like, Just Five Guys is an offshoot of Bullet Club. Like, oh, they didn't realize gosh. it, but there's gonna be. <laughs> You remember how there was Bullet Club NWO or like NWO Hollywood and NWO Red and Black? Yeah. Well, there's Bullet Club OGs. There's Bullet Club Impact. There's Bullet Club Half the torture. Club, there's Bullet Club HOT. And then there's Bullet Club Just Five Guys. There's like six branches of Bullet Club currently. And there's also the, the Rogue Army. An, yeah, Rogue Army. That's another one. And the Elite is technically still connected to the Bullet Club, you know? brother switchblade or brother <laughs> <laughs> what did you call him back then
1: oh,
3: yeah well first like, i think it was yeah yeah it's like brother switchblade i didn't yeah no I, no
2: no yeah. when kenta showed, he's like he's like brother kenta
3: yeah he's like i didn't know uh he's like i didn't know brother switchblade was sending you <laughs>
2: <laughs> brother switchblade didn't tell me you were coming yet yeah. <laughs> like, shut the fuck up <laughs> oh my god but anyways um it's not a one and that's it. That's the end of the story. Let's. That was a great show. Let's move on.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a lot of questions here. Uh, oh, no.
2: We don't need to answer those. Let's move on. <laughs> uh,
3: Rambone Slam Pig, he says, uh, I will admit that my fears about the in-ring quality of the NJ Cup final were unnecessary. I really enjoyed the match and also appreciated the shorter main event, which I have noticed a few times recently. What are your thoughts on the recent variance in main event times? Who was that? Rambo and Slam Pig.
2: Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think sometimes, not always, but sometimes shorter is better. Unless, um, you know, it's kind of like this. Like when I watch, mo- I watch a lot of movies. And unless you really have something that's worthwhile, I don't need it to be three hours. You know? Right, yeah. An hour and a half is fine. <laughs> <laughs> 20 minutes is fine. Unless you really, unless you're gonna go out there and give me something substantial, like if you're giving me a four star match, that's fine. Twenty minutes, good. Fifteen minutes, even better. Let's do it.
3: Yeah, I don't think yeah every main event needs to be you know the thirty five minute plus classic epic. If you're not a, a classic epic wrestler, you, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> if you're not Okada, Omega, Bushi, Naito, Tanahashi, like,
2: sometimes it's questionable with Okada even.
3: True. Yeah. And, and Naito. Um so yeah, you, you don't need that super long main event all time. Um so yeah, 20
2: minutes. Here's the flow chart when it comes to Naito. Is your name Tetsuya Naito? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Are you wrestling Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, um Kazuchika Okada, or Will Ospreay? If it's yes, you can go over 30 minutes. If it's no, then you never need to go over 30 minutes ever <laughs> in your entire career. <laughs>
3: Oh, man. So, yeah, I'm liking the, the variance of uh, main event times.
2: Actually, if the answer is no, then the, the next branch is like, are you still in your prime? If it's yes, then you can go over. If it's no, then you definitely never, ever, ever need to go over 30 minutes.
3: Yeah. Or Yeah. How, how much tape do you have wrapped on your
2: knees? <laughs> you know, that doesn't apply because even when he was in his Stardust Genius phase, his knees were taped a hella up. Like this man has always had bad knees his whole career. Yeah. Which should tell you why he does not need to be going 30 minutes in 2023. Right. You could barely do it in 2013. <laughs> uh,
3: questions here from okay. Okay. Eight Ninety: Do you think the new Japan cup being a good short match instead of trying to become a typical main event epic, like the last two finals was the right choice. Yeah. I think we were answered that. Yes. Also says the Sonata need to beat. Finally, does he need to finally beat Okada or can there be a satisfactory ending to this where Okada still wins?
2: This is where I feel like I am the lone man out on an island unto himself because a lot of other very well respected and knowledgeable journalists, podcasters and pundits when it comes to breaking down wrestling, they all kind of seem to be okay based on what I've read and listened to in the past week, they all kind of seem to be okay with the idea that they did enough in this uh, tournament to really elevate Sonata, to differentiate him by giving him a haircut and dyeing his hair and then putting him in in a new unit and giving him a few wins. For that to be enough to where if the story was... He's the leader of this new group. He's elevated a la Zack Sabre Jr. in the past couple, you know, New Japan Cups, but fails in defeat. That's good enough because a lot of people don't want to see grumpy, veteran, dickhead Okada lose the title right now. They feel like it's okay if Sonata loses. To me, and this is me, and I've really felt I don't feel like anyone else is saying what I'm saying. The storytelling in new Japan is fucked up. If Okada beats Sonata again, this will feel to me. And this is me speaking to you as a fan. This is just my, this is my fan voice. If I just fucking watched this entire tournament (laughs) (laughs) to watch Sonata lose to Okada again, as Secura genesis i swear to god i don't know if i want to cover this company <laughs> <laughs> and i know that that's a Marky thing to say and i maybe i'm a mark whatever but bro what the fuck are we doing why like i know that gato has a tendency to rehash storylines and tournament winners and things that he's done in the past. And I also am very much aware, since the early days of this show, Jeremy, I've coined the term, Gato loves to book heartbreaks. Mm -hmm. This is an original statement I came up with, and it's proved to be true many times over in the past six years. But sometimes you have to have the guy win. And I just personally feel like And again, I don't even like Sonata. Sonata's not even my guy. I don't even fucking like Sonata. (laughs) But he needs to win. I don't... I think it's okay if Okada loses the title to Sonata, even if it's a cup of coffee title ring. He could literally lose it in his next defense, and I would not care. But he should not lose this title shot at Sakura Genesis, because why are we wasting our time watching New Japan Cup after New Japan Cup just for the challengers to always lose to Kazushika Okada. Like, especially when it's a guy that we've seen lose to Okada time after time after time after time after time after time again. Like, what are we doing?
3: Yeah, man. I mean, I 100% agree with you. and We talked about it last week. What was the whole point then uh, of the haircut of you know switching units? This this push to have him lose to Okada. If you're gonna have him lose, why not just have him still be same old Lij Bearded Sonata and r- rerun the the 2019 storyline? Have a, after this time he wins the cup and he has a, he has a title match and you just do that and you go from there. I think it's a complete. Waste of time, waste of a push Waste of a tournament To have him go in there And lose to Okada uh, You know that they also I mean they could do the, the hour Draw, I don't want to see that either I think with this Push and with this Change, Sonata needs to Beat Okada, I don't think Okada loses anything by Losing to Sonata, Okada is already Established, he, he, he's You know one of the GOATs he he's the ace of the company. You can always come back to him. And, you know, I, I do think they're uh, you know, New Japan and Road, they're in a better spot um than they've been in the last couple of years, recovering from the pandemic and making up for lost revenue. I think they're in a spot where they can try Sonata as a champion, see how he draws. Um, like you mentioned, we're not it doesn't have to be this, you know. Defense-breaking title run for Sonata. He could win it here, lose it at Dominion, and we'd be perfectly fine.
2: I think that's a great route to go. I'm looking at their official records, just you know, I'm not Chris Hamsa. I don't have everything like booked out, but or like cataloged, but uh nine singles matches between twenty sixteen and twenty twenty-one. Okada has won eight of them. The one lone reign or win from Sonata was in 2019 in a block match in the G1 in the same year where he dropped three other losses to (laughs) Okada. So if that tells you anything about this quote-unquote rivalry, I mean, that's everything there. And I agree with you, Jeremy. Like, my whole thing has been from the get-go, if you want to tell the story of of a challenger losing in defeat at Sakura Genesis Okada. It should have just been David Finley. Right, yeah. But they went with Sonata. And not only does Sonata look like a potential winner of the title, he feels like a guy that should win the title. He's handsome again. He's got a new group behind him. He's the head of a, of a new stable. And he has support domestically. And this is a company that has lost... In the past few years, some major names that were de- huge domestic stars. I mean, in the past decade, we're talking about like Kota Ibushi, Shinsuke Nakamura, and a few others. And some of the other big domestic stars they do currently have, like Tanahashi and Naito, are pretty long in the tooth and not long for this world, most likely. When I say long for this world, I mean like main event status in the company. Right, not
3: they're, like- they're, they're past
2: their peak. Yeah, not like they're going to die or anything. Um, so with that being the case, like they need to build fresh domestic stars. Do I think Sonata should be an ace-level guy in this company? No. But do I think that he could be a really good holdover until you're ready to push a Shota Umino, a yu yu Amora, a Yota Suji, and a Ren Rita? Absolutely. I think that he's a great holdover guy in the interim. And I think that starts with putting the big strap on him. Do I have any illusions that by putting the title on him is going to magically transform him into a guy that knows how to put on five-star classics overnight? No, <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. And I know that, that some some of, some of the work rate, like snobs that are probably listening, like, you know, I'll say the name because I love it. Rich Ladd is probably listening to this, being like, "No, don't put the belt on Sonata." <laughs> <laughs> and and to some extent, I agree because I'm not the biggest Sonata fan. But would I rather them bury the guy and put him ten feet under, and along the way put, you know, everybody the other four guys that are just five guys. Under as well, and kicked the legs out from them before they even got started. So, fuck you, Doki. Um, <laughs> no, like, I would like them to have their time in the sun. I think that it's okay for him to have a two to three month title reign before he drops the title at Dominion, like you mentioned, and a new champion rides off into the G1 with the belt. I think that's good, you know?
3: Yeah, you
2: know, good
3: booking is very logical, and it should make sense. And the way the story is booked, for it, I think, to to make sense and to be logical, the best outcome is Sonata beating Okada. Whether you like Sonata or not, and it was, like you mentioned last week, you brought up that Roman Reigns scenario from WrestleMania weekend, in uh, 2018 uh, You know Roman, a lot of people weren't huge Romans fan at the time But the story they were telling It made sense for Roman He should have won He should have beat Brock Same situation here where you might not be the biggest Sonata fan Or maybe you are, doesn't matter The story that they've That Gatos laid out and has been telling here The right outcome The right endings to the story Should be for Sonata to beat Okada here.
2: Next week, we have Karen Peterson coming on the show. She's a big Sonata fan, and she's going to be able to give us a much more nuanced and informative take as to why Sonata should win. And I think she has a better connection with the domestic audience, which clearly loves Sonata. And I feel like that's a disconnect between the Western fan base and the domestic fan base. I'm not really one of them. I can't, I couldn't tell you why he's so beloved or exactly what that connection is or whatever. But I can tell you, we've been doing this show since, what, late 2017? Yeah, November of 2017. So what's the math on that? Like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. So we're coming up on six years. I can't really remember a time where you and I were in full agreement that we ever declared – this needs to happen for a title change for the IWGP title. Obviously it's a different title now, but like when have we ever done that in the show's history? Uh, I feel like it's been very rare. I don't think it's ever happened. Yeah. Maybe, maybe when Kenny was challenging for the last time against Okada. Yeah. Maybe that, and that might be the only time. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, like, that should tell you something like this is not a sensationalist uh, podcast where we throw up, you know, a bunch of like, uh, you know, clickbait like titles and, and stuff like we don't do that shit like but I feel very strongly like Okada should not retain his title here. And I don't think I've ever said that really too much in the history of, the, of us covering New Japan. So, right. And like I don't you know. Said, that's, that's my take on it. Both
3: of us. We're we're not huge Sonata fans. No. We're not Sonata fanboys, you know, we're not, you know, these guys with the autographs and dressing up like him, wearing a skull mat, like,
2: no, we're not. Bro, if Sonata walked up to me, I'd be like, what's up, bro? (laughs) (laughs) Bro, if Ishii came up to me, I would nearly cry. I would, like, (laughs) I would lose my shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, 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 like, Shibata or Ishii or, like, Tanahashi were in front of me, I'd be, like, on my notes app, trying to, like, work up some sort of, like, heartfelt message that I could throw into a translation later to, like, maybe convey to them what they might have meant to me. But if Sonata walked up, I would just give him a tap. I'd be like, what's up, bro? How you doing, man? (laughs) How you doing, man?
3: You you doing good? I'm going to give him the man nod. Just keep walking.
2: (laughs) Bro, I'm pretty sure we interviewed Sonata at G1, and I don't think we had that many questions
3: for him. Yeah, we did not. (laughs) 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 Uh, Next question here from MJ Does PR What is better for the World Championship title scene A continued Okada rule or a Sonata victory Okada has been so dominant And predicted this run it's difficult to see Him credibly losing to anyone Else on the roster Uh, I mean we kind of answered that With what we were just talking Anything else to add on that
2: Did you ever see One Two Three kid versus Razor Ramon (laughs) Anybody can lose (laughs) Uh anything could happen. Barry Harwitz beat uh you know Body Donna Skip one time.
3: Maven eliminated the Undertaker from the Royal Rumble.
2: Yeah, bro. One, two, three. Never know what could happen.
3: <laughs> uh Barry Walsh uh, says with Sonata doing a shining wizard on route to the final win, do you think it would could set him up and Kiyomiya, who was given the move from Uto, having some feud. Over the move, or Muta might give Noah a win and not have Okada take a loss. <laughs> this guy's assuming that Kiyomiya's is
2: still working for Noah. I don't even know <laughs> if he's still working for the company. Man, drop the belt. Honestly, like it kind of feels like he need. It feels like they might need to send him away again to rehab him again to bring him back with another new gimmick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, You know, the last thing I want to see in New Japan is more Mutoism.
3: Right. I, I don't need to see two Muto cosplayers wrestling each other.
2: I do. I did. I think the Shining Wizard's a great move. And I thought it was really cool that Sonata used the move, especially considering his connections to Muto and everything. And he even mentioned in kayfabe in his post-match comments, he was like, you know, I've never used that move, and it was something that just presented itself and happened organically. It's Probably a laid-out spot, obviously, but, like, I like that. I like that it was something just sort of off the cuff for his character. But I don't need to see these two muta- you know practitioners the muto the sons of muta <laughs> fighting like i don't need them to fight over his estate to tell me which one of them really inherits the likeness and trademark of kiji muto like fuck that i don't need it yeah at the end of the day he is not care <laughs> he, yeah bro like he doesn't care like he's gonna be in you know In LA at SmackDown, prepping for his induction into the the WWE Hall of Fame. Chilling with Triple
3: H. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, The Dark Soldier says As much as I'm interested in what's going on with Sonata and Just Five Guys, I honestly feel there should have been a fifth member already introduced beforehand. Maybe bring in ACH. Sonata joins, and a segment is had where Sonata talks about each member and how there's just one person who doesn't fit in here. Kai chi kicks ACH. It's now talks about how ACH is a part of the problem.
2: I shouldn't be right I shouldn't be laughing at something so racist.
3: Oh uh, well yeah, we've we've brought up the whole the Booker T thing in a couple weeks uh, in a row with uh the whole yeah WrestleMania nineteen thing or not the WrestleMania the uh, the NWO Sean kicking him out uh from the NWO.
2: Sean Michaels racist <laughs> You're, uh, both of us, our first favorite wrestlers, racist. Nah, Sean. Sean
3: no, that, Sean was put in a difficult spot. Okay, <laughs> Booker. Booker wasn't part of the click. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: <sorry. laughs>
3: oh, man. All right. Oh man. Well, that that wraps up our coverage on the 2023 New Japan Cup. Let's move into some other things that are upcoming. Uh, first, like we mentioned earlier, this Wednesday, March 29th, on AEW Dynamite, we're going to have the IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion. That's right. Kenny Omega will defend the U.S. title for the first time since winning it from Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom. He will be defending against Will Ospreay, stalemate from the United Empire the Imperial unit, Jeff Cobb. Josh, what do you think about this uh, matchup and Kenny's first defense here?
2: This will be the first time that Kenny has publicly acknowledged any connection to New Japan since January
3: 5th. Well, there's been a couple uh, backstage vignettes where he's had the red belt, but... I'm just joking. (laughs) Yeah, and
2: he's come out, I think, on two subsequent weeks uh, with the red belt in his entrance at eight during in, like a dynamite broadcast, but that's really about it. Um, and you know, I'm not really putting any of this blame on Kenny necessarily. Although if he's part of the problem, he can get these hands too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm trained. I'll take a bump. I'll take a trigger, or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, no, when it comes to, uh, the match itself, I am glad it's happening. Um, I guess, but, it's kind of more for selfish reasons. Like we know that we know that Forbidden Door is coming up, and I was really scared that this match was going to happen at Forbidden Door, meaning we couldn't get Kenny versus Will Osprey <laughs> too <laughs> on the pay per view. Yeah. So um, I'm glad, in a certain sense, that this is happening. You know, in AEW, uh, but from a more like, I guess, grounded. Um, business perspective, okay, it's cool it's happening, the cross-promotion. I do sort of imagine that this is going to be the first stepping stones to whatever eventually happens between New Japan and AEW as it pertains to Door. That's like, what, in May, June? Uh, June like 26th, 25th, something like that. Yeah, so I mean, I don't even know if it's going to have immediate repercussions, but I mean, they're going to at least have something on tape they can point to in the you know the video montages when they're building to whatever it is kenny will be doing come forbidden door but with that being said like i don't know i'm not that impressed by it you know what i mean like the match is going to be great don't get me wrong but kenny just had a great match with vikingo on national TV and and I I do think from a AEW standpoint, will this be good for business? Like, yeah, it'll probably be good for business. Not quite as good as the Vikingo Kenny hype, but this will still be something that does well on television. And it'll be great for Jeff Cobb to get that exposure and for these two guys to lock horns. I'm sure as athletic as they both are and everything, that the, the match is gonna be great. But like I do think personally we're at the point now where everybody, every single pro elitist and snob that had a problem with Kenny Omega, Kenny Omega winning this belt and holding it hostage, like many of his other Western counterparts had done in the past, are justified and 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 proved to be correct at this point because. From January 5th to now, which we're at the end of March going into the early part of April, there's been no mention of Kenny Omega, unless you're talking about Jeff Cobb. There's been no reference. The red belt, which was the number two belt in the company, has been completely absent from the company. And the only real argument that anybody could justifiably make about this whole situation is they could say, well, the red belt wasn't necessarily needed for... Fantastic Mania or New Japan Cup. Kind of conveniently forgetting that New Beginning happened, or that the champions usually do take part in the New Japan Cup, or that Sakura Genesis is coming up and Kenny's not slotted for that, that we know of. And you know, at this point looking at the calendar, it seems unlikely that he would show up at Dontaku. Dominion seems like the most likely earliest possibility that he might even potentially show up in Japan with the belt again but then again at the same time it's like how does that line up with with AEW and the Forbidden Door will we even see Kenny Omega in Japan this year you know is that even something that's likely going to be followed up on and all of this would be fine if it wasn't the fact for the fact that we saw a, a match that transcended the wrestling business this past year between him and uh, Osprey, and there's been no follow-up, and there's been nothing that really elevated this brand. And, like, I get it. He has other obligations with AEW, but I just had higher expectations from these two joint partners to kind of work together. I know that there was visa issues with Kenny and everything like that, but, like, the reality is they didn't do shit to promote what happened on January 4th whatsoever. No video packages, no mentions, nothing. And now, like the only time they're probably gonna do that is in the lead up to Forbidden Door. So I don't know, it kind of sucks.
3: Yeah, definitely there could have been better follow-up from that epic matchup that they had. And like you mentioned, yeah, there were visa issues. Kenny had issues getting into the US, so of course he was probably gonna have issues getting into Japan. But that got solved pretty quickly, and I get maybe, you know, not going to Japan frequently, but we saw, you know, if John Moxley, when he was the U.S. champ, we saw several defenses on Dynamite. We even saw Mox make some strong appearances. I know it was a pandemic, and things were a little different then, um, but I do think that there could have been some U.S. defenses on Dynamite, Rampage, whatever, um, and I mean, just to kind of put it out there Like, yeah, Kenny has this belt He is, you know, New Japan's our partner You kind of keep that New Japan name In the, the atmosphere To kind of continue to build buzz For Forbidden Door and potential matchups But they didn't do any of that And I mean, now we're getting it You know, they showed clips of Kenny's promo From New Year's Dash to Jeff Cobb They showed clips of Cobb Calling out Kenny So obviously if you're an AEW fan And you don't follow New Japan um, you know, every week, then to you, it kind of seems like, oh yeah, this is kind of a they've been you know heating this feud up. But if you're watching no. New Japan, you're like, no, they shot they shot an angle on January fifth. Cobb's been trying to, like you mentioned, keep this program alive by himself, and He's
1: been eating
2: losses in the meantime.
3: <laughs> right? He hasn't. They haven't been pushing Jeff. He lost first round in, in the New Japan Cup. They're, they haven't given giving him you know a, a full go push and he's been trying to keep this match hot with Kenny and now we're getting it. And so, yeah, all, everybody who wrote questions in and didn't like the fact of, of Kenny beating Osprey, Now they're, they're kind of justified, like you mentioned, and
2: what's happening. They were right. And we were wrong. Not entirely. There were definitely things that we were right about that they were, you know, kind of pearl clutching about. But at the end of the day, it's not just about the match. The match was fantastic, but there needs to be follow-up. There needs to be promotion. It's a wrestling – I mean, wrestling is promoting, and there's been no capitalization on the follow-up to what was essentially one of the greatest matches purportedly to be in the history of wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, what if what if New Japan didn't follow up on – the the buzz and excitement behind the first omega and okada match you know what i mean yeah they they use that to really project and and um, elevate their brand for the next six months until they did the rematch at dominion that hasn't been the case with this match whatsoever um from either brand from other either aew or new japan part of me feels like some of the blame is with new japan because it's like Again, we're not in the locker rooms. We're not behind closed doors. I don't know what the plans may have or may not have been between these two companies. Maybe there were extenuating circumstances that have prevented the companies from doing whatever it was that they might have planned on doing. But when you're looking at AEW's booking patterns, it's become pretty clear that those who are holding, and I mean, we're not a AEW podcast uh, if you want to check out an AEW podcast, you can listen to uh, All Things Elite, part of the Social Suplex Podcast Network. But uh, my quick rant on this issue is that you got Kenny Omega, one of the greatest singles wrestlers in the world, and then you got the Young Bucks, one of the greatest tag, team, uh, tag teams that are in existence in the world. And they have primarily been limited to just being part of uh, either – tag team or six man trios matches while they were involved with the trios titles. And that is somewhat understandable, but I have a kind of a, I don't know, like let's look at new Japan and new Japan. If you're part of a a faction or a trio or whatever, you can still break off and have singles matches and have tag matches and do other things, not just be exclusively limited to just being in the trios division even if you're like, say, the Never Six Man Tag Team Champions, mm-hmm. for instance, Suzuki is pursuing the strong open weight title, even though he's a champion in the six man division. It's not like that in AEW. Like these guys have been part of the uh, the six man division and have been holding the titles. Speaking of the elite, and like aside from that one tag match they had against uh, Aussie Open that we reviewed, other than that. They've been exclusively linked to the six-man division, and only now after dropping the belts had they been allowed to spread their wings out and do other things. And, like, the match that just happened last week with Kenny Omega was the first singles match he's had in AEW since returning from injury after his match against, like, uh, Hangman Adam Page. That's far too long for Kenny Omega to not be having singles matches. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. That that makes no sense from a business perspective, and I'm sorry. Like, it just doesn't. Um, yeah, so with that all being said, yeah, I do think that there could have been times where we could have forgone a Kip Sabian match and had Kenny Omega defend his U.S. title on television since there was already a precedent set from other champions, namely Mox, who'd done it in the past. So... Again, I'm not that thrilled about this. And, like, I am glad for Jeff Cobb. I think that this is going to be probably, in the West, the most important match of Jeff Cobb's career when it comes to, like, a national audience. And that's great, and I'm happy about it. But at the same time, it's like, damn, it took us this long to get any sort of recognition for the U.S. title? I don't know. Like, that doesn't feel good.
3: Yeah. And that leads to a question from uh, Triangle 720 do you think New Japan gets any benefit from Kenny being the U.S. champion when he won't be defending it on
2: Japan, U.S. shows? No. To be honest with you, no. It, it's not a benefit. when it, In theory, it would be if it was utilized, but it's not being utilized on their television. So what is the point? In fact, the title gets devalued at this point. I feel like the title is less important. This is not sensationalism. This is just a pure fact. This title was the number two title in the company going into Wrestle Kingdom. And it was being brought into Wrestle Kingdom on on the whims of what was essentially the greatest title reign in the history of that title's history with Will Ospreay. And it gets concluded... By having basically the best match in the history of that title's history, Omega Osprey, and then the lack of follow-up, the lack of attention, the lack of of anything like there's literally nothing from the New Japan or the AEW side as it pertains to that belt in the last four months. Basically, means what does that title mean? Right. It might as well not even exist in the company at this point. You know what I mean? It could just be. A defunct title because nothing happened. Could that change as time goes on? Maybe I'm being too harsh. It's possible, but as it as it stands right now, I mean, the title is maybe the least valuable it's been since like Cody Rhodes held it.
3: Yeah, and we've had the same criticism when Chris Jericho won the Intercontinental Title when it existed, and. Yeah. He won the belt and was gone for several months. No mention, no defenses, and, and until he finally came back to uh, defend against Naito again. Uh, it's not
2: that different from what Carl Anderson did with the Never title earlier the end of last year.
3: Yeah. The, the only benefit, and we'll never truly know this because obviously we don't have access to this data, would be the NJPW World subscriber retention. We do know that That's there, true. there was a huge bump to New Japan World in January for Wrestle Kingdom. And a lot of that was due to Kenny Omega's appearance on the show in this Kenny versus Will matchup. And we know that they got a huge bump in subscribers. It would be interesting to see what the retention rate is. Are all those AW fans that came for Kenny and all those uh Monet stands when they, you know plop down their 9.99 yen, are they still with us right now? Are they still watching New Japan um, based off of that? Because if that's the case, then that is the one benefit uh, of using Kenny and putting the belt on him is bringing in these fans they are going to use your service.
2: I'm not denying that that's a possibility, and that's something that's definitely key in understanding why they might have been inclined to, to go this way. But... Um... It, there's no denying that even if that is the case, when you have a title that becomes non-defended and non-discussed on the 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 show, it becomes an afterthought. So even if it did, uh, you know, a big rating or a big uh, subscription, you know, at the time, what's the follow-up? And that's still been the discussion that we're having. It's like there's been no follow-up.
3: Yeah. And I think too, it's also disappointing because of what we saw Kenny do when he was the belt collector. You know, he yep. was, he was wrestling on Impact Wrestling, defending the Impact title, going to Mexico, defending the AAA title, and they can't have him defend the, the IWGP US title on, on AW sooner than uh, that we're getting right now. So yeah, it's uh, a little bit frustrating, um, but at the end of the day. It is going to be a, a great matchup on Wednesday with Kenny and Jeff. Going to be a, a great opportunity, like you mentioned, for Jeff Cobb, the, the biggest match um, in his career in the West. And, you know, you're going to get almost a million viewers on this match, on this title, on Jeff Cobb. So hopefully, um, this matchup will, you know, again, create some awareness for New Japan and you can get some. Subscriptions and some more eyes from the West um, onto New Japan Pro Wrestling. All right, well, let's uh, move on to the next topic here. It is uh, WrestleMania week, and you know that means WrestleMania weekend. Uh, tons of shows happening this coming <laughs> week in uh, L.A., California. And uh, one of those shows is going to be the Impact Wrestling and NJPW Multiverse United only the Strong Survive show happening on Thursday, March thirtieth. 8 p.m. Pacific time Exclusively on Fight TV uh, There will be a pre-show match Which will be Gabriel Kidd Versus Uamora. Y- the rest of the card will be um, Mystery Vortex tile Determined by uh, Entrance music um, So the matches will be Alex Coughlin, uh, Sammy Callahan Fred Rosser And PCO taking on JR Kratos, Filthy Tom Waller Eddie Edwards, and Joe Henry. Hiroshi Tanahashi, filling in for Will Ospreay, will take on Speedball Mike Bailey. Jeff Cobb will take on Moose. The Impact X Division title will be on the line as Trey Miguel will defend against our good friend Rocky Romero, Frankie Gazarian, Rich Juan, the Wild Rhino Clark Connors, and Kevin Knight. The Impact World Tag Team titles will be on the line Representing the Bull Club, the champions Ace Austin and Chris Bay will defend against the Motor City Machine Guns, Aussie Open, and the TMDK team of Bad Dude Tito and Shane Hayes The NJPW Strong Openweight title will be on the line as the champion Kenta will defend against Minoru Suzuki, and then there will be a four-way women's match with Miyu Yamashita, taking on Deanna Parazzo versus G- Giselle Shaw versus Masa Slamovich, who was uh, filling in for injured Mickey James. Uh, the original Kushida versus um, Josh Alexander match had to be uh, pulled. Josh Alexander tore his triceps, having to uh, vacate the Impact Wrestling World title. So uh, best recoveries to uh, Josh Alexander. So this is the card that we have here. Uh, what do you think about this uh, Multiverse United card?
2: I think it's very disappointing with some of the, uh, recent injuries. Obviously that can't be helped. Uh, but you know, it is disappointing to hear, of two of the bigger names and some of my favorite performers in Josh Alexander and Will Osprey being pulled from the show. But, um, by and large, even without, even with those exclusions, the show still looks very strong. I do think that prior to those exclusions, this looked like potentially the show of the weekend. And I think it might be close to being in contention for that. It's definitely one to pay attention to. Not something you should want to skip, especially if you're a New Japan or an Impact fan. But um, maybe, like, for instance, I think Supercard of Honor is probably going to be slightly better than this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, top to bottom, I mean, this is one of the best shows of all of WrestleMania weekend. On a weekend, that's just filled with, I mean, there's no nice way to say it. Just bullshit. Like a lot of, I mean, there's never been so many shows on WrestleMania weekend. And it's like literally filled with shitty, shitty cards. (laughs) (laughs) So it's nice to see a show that has, you know, story behind it. A reason that it's happening. Big names, big matchups. It's very appealing. I think this is going to be a really great show.
3: Yeah, I think it's going to be a solid card, a lot of good matchups here. It will be a fun uh, show to watch. I know uh, everybody's really looking forward to Osprey and Mike Bailey, but, you know, Tanahashi coming in, I think that would be a fun matchup for Mike Bailey. And I think a good test for him. You know, we've seen Mike Bailey a lot on New Japan adjacent shows. Last year, media Weekend, he faced uh, Switchblade Jay White. So I think New Japan really likes, uh, you know, Mike Bailey and putting him against some of their top guys. So again, hopefully that's a sign for him getting into Best Super Juniors this year because he's just incredible and that would be a great get there. So yeah, top to bottom, should be a great card. Uh, we did have a question here from Def Triangle 720 Do you think New Japan should get rid of these strong
2: titles? Great question. Um, I do think that there is a I think there's an argument for that because the company already has a lot of titles and these ones only really made sense in the context of representing the new japan strong brand now granted they're going to continue with new japan strong in the u.s from a i don't even know how how often they're going to be doing it but from a pay-per-view in the u.s standpoint like they're branding all those as strong so in theory it does seem nice to have a tag team and a singles title that Is exclusively, you know, contested in the US on those strong shows. But then again, if you really think about it, like when we had a weekly show and we had a roster and we had storylines and everything like that, there seemed to be a running thread. You could build up challengers, you could build up, you know, a chase and everything like that. And now it just kind of feels like another new Japan domestic singles title challenged for and defended by domestic stars, except it's just happening in the U S it kind of remains to be seen. We, 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 we've only done one or two of these new Japan strong pay-per-views in this new era so far. So maybe we have to let it play out to see how it's going to work. But like, my best guess, if you wanted my personal opinion, I wouldn't be surprised if those titles get end up either getting uh vacated for, or just completely, like, forgotten about or merged into some of the other belts that New Japan already has.
3: Yeah, I think it was a change of the format, moving away from weekly TV during these, you know, pay-per-views, which I know they chop them up and do weekly shows, but it's completely different, and I don't totally. I don't think a strong title and a strong tag team title are necessary, especially because now with these New Japan pay-per-views, they are focusing on bringing over more of the domestic talent. So why do you need a strong tag title when you can just bring over the IWGB tag titles or junior tag titles? Why do you need a strong open weight title when you can bring over the never title you're bringing over the, the IWGB world champion, um, so why why does why does there need to be a strong open weight title?
2: I mean, the original idea of the U.S. belt in general was supposed to be a title that was defended both on the U.S. shows as well as domestically in Japan, and would also cross over with their partner ROH at the time, and that never really happened. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but the reality is, like back in the early glory days of New Japan having a lot of success in the US, they were just presenting the, the domestic product over in the States. It wasn't a US product version of New Japan. And that's kind of what they're reverting back to. So, what is the point of having a New Japan Strong branded title if there is no New Japan Strong other than that just being the title? of their pay-per-views they're essentially just bringing the domestic product back to america
3: right they're yeah they're kind of yeah going back to the the old strategy
2: and maybe we're wrong maybe as time goes on it'll prove to be beneficial but these kind of feel like interim titles (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know just something that they're like you know they're kind of just thrown on so that there's a gold trinket that people will find value in, but I don't find any value in them. If there's not a weekly show backing them up. Right. Um, so
3: there's going to be some other uh, new Japan representation throughout uh, mania weekend. Uh, so blood sport nine also happening Thursday, March 30th. Uh, we'll have Calder McCall versus Jeff Cobb. Kota abushi back in action for the first time since his injury, taking on speedball. Mike Bailey, Bad Dude Tito taking on Yuya Amora, John Johnny Bloodsport, John Morrison taking on Royce Isaac, Stay Boy Smith Jr. taking on J.R. Kratos, and the big main event: John Moxley taking on the Android Alex Coughlin. Uh, then the WrestleCon Super Show also March thirtieth. United Empire team of Jeff Cobb and Aussie Open will take on the Time Machine trio of Alex Shelley, Chris Sabin, and Kushida. Our good friend Rocky Romero will take on Michael Oku from RevPro. And then uh, Brian Keefe will team with Kenta to take on Filthy Tom Lawler and a mystery partner. His partner was originally uh, Davey Richards, but uh, Davey has retired Due to uh you know the domestic violence claims and issues that he's been uh, dealing with with his wife, so mystery partner there for a filthy Tom Lawler for that show, uh for the culture also March 30th, uh, Kevin Knight will be in there with uh Myron Reed and Man Like Darice in a three way match, and then uh, lastly here uh, the Ring of Honor Super Card of Honor on Friday March 31st. There will be a Pure Rules ROH Pure Championship matchup with Wheeler, Wheeler Utah defending against Katsuyuri Shibata. And then there will be the Reach for the Sky ladder match for the vacant ROH World Tag Team titles as the Lucha Bros will face Top Flight, the Kingdom Aussie Open and La Faction Inger Bonable
2: yeah and aside from that i'm kind of looking just briefly over the uh our friends of our voices of wrestling have done a really exhaustive wrestlemania week and they do this every year but uh wrestlemania weekend rundown there is a show on friday at 4 p.m prestige wrestling that involves a lot of new japan adjacent wrestlers that are going to be fo- you know focused on. So like the LA Dojo guys are on that show. Time splitters is on that show. Um, Team filthy is on that show. And quite a few guys that have appeared on like new Japan strong that are part of that roster that may or may not still be part of new Japan. So that's going to be from the globe theater at 4 PM on Friday. That's, that's one of the only like truly indie shows that to me, looks worthwhile because there's a lot of like there's Calvin Tankman and Timothy Thatcher and you know Ricky Gibson and Titus Alexander Michael Oku this is a show that like if I was there locally I might consider actually going to
3: yeah uh yeah first time in a while it's for me not going to uh WrestleMania weekend I went to the Dallas last year uh so kinda, yeah a little weird not being there but like you said there's not a lot of great stuff and with the way the weekend has changed Obviously with SmackDown being on Fridays now No more big takeover shows WrestleMania being What are you two. talking
2: about? Stand and Deliver the day before on, <laughs> Bro, I'm going to watch Stand and Deliver okay. I don't really know that much about the backstories But I'm watching the show <laughs> Okay, but you know
3: you know what I mean And uh, yeah. WrestleMania being two days You know, all the companies are afraid to run On Friday and Saturday now and Not s- Gringo Loco
2: <laughs> He's running head-to-head head with WrestleMania, baby. Oh,
3: uh, so, yeah. The weekends, yeah. they have, uh, Thursday and Friday, or Thursday, really, is so diluted. All the shows like I just mentioned are all on Thursday. A lot of them competing head-to-head. Head.
2: March The Mark Hitchcock Super Show and Bloodsport are going head-to-head head at 4 p.m. on Thursday. Why? Why? That's asinine.
3: Yeah, and especially, there's so many guys that are working double-duty. For both, for there's
2: those. there's so many guys pulling double duty. Not only that, there's so many guys from New Japan that are on both shows. I feel like you're going to need to watch Super Show and I'm going to need to watch Bloodsport. Yeah, well, and I, we're going to have to cross notes.
3: Yeah, and then the New Japan shows the same day also.
2: So Jeff Cobb's working three matches in one day <laughs> <laughs> that we know of. Um, but aside from all that, there's a few other. I mean, like Fred Rosser's on FE's Gay Brunch, Leo Rush's working jimmy lloyd on one of those like midnight gcw shows yuya Uemura is getting a lot of work on a bunch of random shows wrestlemania weekend so you might see him show up in like a six-way scramble and stuff like that uh there's a lot of like new japan talent that are just on all sorts of outlaw mud shows (laughs) new japan or uh, WrestleMania weekend. So there's a lot of stuff out there. I, I mean, normally I could catalog it all. I don't think it's possible this year, but uh, the, I think you did a pretty good job sort of highlighting the main stuff that's worth, you know, paying attention to. I sort of have my, like to steal from Joe Lanza, my path to glory um, for most of the, the days that I, the stuff that I'm interested in, but you, you kind of like highlighted most of it here. It's going to be like super card of honor, Super Show, Blood Sport, maybe I might throw on Tokyo Joshi Pro one day, you know, WrestleMania, NXT. That's like I'm just the big stuff. Uh maybe spring break. Spring uh there's like the Kingo versus uh um Speedball Mike Bailey. I might throw that on. Yeah, but... uh,
3: also Abushi uh, versus Joey Janela.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, it, oh bro, Abushi said he didn't know who Joey Janela even was. <laughs> Booker of the show <laughs> Well remember Abushi didn't even know who Vince was <laughs> That's so funny Oh man
3: Oh man alright so yeah that's Wrestlemania weekend so yeah we'll Cover some of that so stuff so
2: is Kushida just Off the multiverse of madness Show
3: uh as of Right now he is I have not seen A replacement match he will just be give him
2: the belt he was supposed to Challenge and the champion can't make the title Shot like or the title defense The title's vacant he will be Kushida. face
3: he's facing uh Steve Macklin at the next Impact pay-per-view for the vacant
2: title. I heard someone say Steve Macklin's likely gonna be the next champion. I don't know who the fuck Steve Macklin is, but with a name like Steve Macklin, you should not be champion. He's uh
3: what's his face from the Forgotten Sons? Uh, I forgot him.
2: <laughs> fuck him. Kushida, Impact World Champion.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it, it's definitely a, a possibility. Uh, so, coming up in Japan, we got the Road to Sakura Genesis Tour kicking off this weekend. Also, uh, two televised shows, both from Cork and Hall. Uh, Sunday, April 2nd, uh, we'll have Oscar Lube and Yuto Nakashima versus Great Bash Heel of Togi Makabe and Tomiko Kohanma. Bull Club team of ELP, Gato, and Taiji Ishimori versus the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, and Naito. The House of Torture will take on Strong Style in Oiwa. We'll have the Chaos team of Goto, Toriyano Yoshihashi taking on Great Okan, Kyle Fletcher, and Mark Davis from the United Empire. Uh, we'll have the Bolton-Oleg official debut match. It'll be a TMDK, Kosei Vegeta, Robbie Eagles, and Zack Sabre Jr. Taking on Bolton-Oleg, Rusuke Toguchi, and Shota Umino. Then in a the semi-main event it'll be Kazuchika Okada, Tomo Ishii, and Yo teaming up with Master Wato and Tiger Mask to take on just five guys. And then the main event will be for the KOPW, excuse me, the provisional KOPW title in That's a correct ultimate triad match as Shingo Takagi will defend against Aaron Hanare. And the rules are there will be no countouts and no disqualifications. The only way to win will be to score a pinfall, a submission, and a 10-count knockout on your opponent in any order you see fit.
2: Yeah, so this is obviously not what had previously been uh, brought up on the air, uh, that they were going to do a no-fist no or no-glove, False count anywhere, Muay Thai street fight, knockout only match. So apparently that's all changed, uh, which is fine. I kind of like this idea because we we discussed this last week. Like, uh, Shingo Takagi does better when he's having matches that are, uh, you know, kind of centered around this sort of, like, different ways to win versus a gimmick of a match, this is yeah. actually just a straight up wrestling match. The only thing is, the only way to win, you got to knock someone out, you got to sub them, and you got to pin them. I like that, that's pretty interesting. It's very much in line with the trend of matches we saw between him and um, Tai Chi, uh, Tai Chi last year. So I- I'm down for it,
3: yeah. And they had that uh, great matchup, the the Texas match style matchup where you had to get the pin and 10 count him and Tai Chi had. That was a great matchup, and so, yeah, I think this stipulation works better in Shingo's strengths, and I don't think I've ever seen a match kind of like this, so it's unique, and, yeah, it should be a fun matchup, a big opportunity here for Aaron Hanare, uh main event matchup against a guy like Shingo.
2: Yeah, looking forward to it.
3: So then uh, Monday, April 3rd, uh, will be Oscar Lube and Tomio Ishii versus Aaron Hanare and Great Okan. Master Wato, Tiger Mask, and Yo versus uh, Doki, Taka, and Katamaru from Just5Guys. Taguchi, Umino, and Yano versus ELP, Gato, and Taiji Ishimori. Uh, Then we'll have uh, Bishamon and Hanuma taking on Jeff Cobb and Aussie Open. Hiromu, Shingo, and Naito versus TMDKs, Fujita, Eagles, and Zack Sabre Jr. Semi-main event, the Mega Aces, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Kazuchika Okada will take on Sonata and Taichi from Just Five Guys and then the main event will be for the never open weight six man tag team titles strong style El Dorado, and Renarita. the champions will defend against the House of Torture Trio, Evil Show and Yujiro Takahashi.
2: Yeah, so by this point uh it is possible that we could be seeing dual champion minoru suzuki depending on how his match with uh uh kenta goes in the states but um yeah we're seeing a a return match the former champions never uh (laughs) house of torture challenging for those belts to regain them from strong style and uh i don't know man like i don't really care (laughs) (laughs) um i'll watch the match it's fine um I don't I don't know what to think here. You know, they've done a little bit of uh building up for this match, but uh it's house of torture, so you know, I don't know. I wish I, I wish I could tell you something more productive. Yeah. I just don't I don't care.
3: Yeah, I, I kinda want House of Torture to win it back just because I feel like I, Dorita needs to be, you know, doing some other stuff besides being stuck in this division. I think obviously there's that story with Narita and Saber, and there's some other cool stuff that Narita could be doing in a singles role um, versus you know feuding with the House of Torture. So we'll see what happens. We had a question here from uh, Reddit user Puro Poppy he says, "With House of Torture doing the spray paint gimmick, is the evil Soraya too sweet at Forbidden Door inevitable?"
2: Yeah, I could see that happening, and I would just like be like, ah, gag. <laughs> Uh, and
3: also we got the full card for Secura Genesis announced And like you mentioned, our friend Karen Pearson will be joining us next week And we'll do our official uh, preview and predictions But we'll just run down uh, the announced card here and Just kind of give general thoughts So we'll have uh, the United Empire, uh, Aaron Hanare, Francisco Akira and Jeff Cobb taking on the House of Tortures, Evil Show, and Yujo Takahashi. The LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo, and Naito versus Doki, Taichi, and Kanamaru from just five guys, the Bullet Club team of David Finley, ELP, and Kenta versus Hikaleo, Tamatanga, and Master Wato. Then we'll have the NJPW World television title online. Zach Sabre Jr. defends against Chito Umino. The IWGP Tag Team Titles on the line as Bishamon defends against Aussie Open. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title Match. Hirom Takahashi defends against our good friend Robbie Eagles. Semi-main event IWGP Women's Title 3-Way Match. mercedes Monet defends against uh, Azuki and AZM Azumi. And then the main event will be for the IWGP World Heavyweight title as Kazuchika Okada will defend the title against the Cold Skull Sonata. Uh, so, Josh, what are your thoughts overall thoughts on the Sakura Genesis card, which we did have a question here from uh, Death Triangle 720 How do you feel about the Sakura Genesis card?
2: Yeah, we're going to do a full review next week, obviously. So, don't want to... Uh... Completely give everything away. But top to bottom, I feel like this is a really, really strong card. I mean, you know, you take a look at it and you've got the, the major world title match, which is the big draw. Plus, we have a three way between uh, Mercedes, Hazuki, and Izumi. That's one where I'm kind of a little perplexed. I don't know why we needed a triangle match for that, but whatever. But um, it, it's still going to be a great match, most likely. Plus Eagles and Hiromu, plus a junior title or plus a tag team title match, plus a TV title match, plus everything else that's on the undercard. I mean, this is—I mean—all the implications that are kind of here. This is a pretty strong card, top to bottom, and I'm looking forward to it. I think it's gonna be very, very good.
3: Yeah, I think it's gonna be a great card. Yeah, we got several title matches plus everything on the undercard. I think it's gonna be building to angles. You know, you got Finley mm-hmm. and ELP on the same team. Um, you know, L.I.J. and just five guys I feel like there'll be something, uh, you know, brewing There, you got Chingo and Taichi a- across The ring, always fireworks with those guys You United Empire uh, Potentially maybe they're setting up a, some kind of Never matchup of them and House of torture So yeah, overall, top to bottom is going to be A great show, uh, we had a question from Rambo and Slam Pig on the tag title Match, he says, given how Aussie Open Have heated up over the last month or two Do you think we are in for a Title change at Secure Genesis
2: um without
3: expanding on my thoughts, yes. Yes, and yeah, we'll go into further uh detail next week. And you know, Aussie Open, they have the, the chance they could be impact and ring of honor tag team champions going into this matchup. Yeah. Um and Rambo's had a question also too about the women's uh title match. He says Mercedes Monet reportedly doesn't have any dates left on her deal. Is the IWGB Women's title match being a three-way, a a contraint's way to get the belt off of her without beating her? They don't do many three-way matches, so it just seems odd. It You know what? I'm not
2: saying it's for sure going to be that, but it's very suspect. Very, very suspect.
3: Yeah, I know there's been reports that yeah, she was going to do the, the one last show in April. Um, but yeah, I mean... And maybe she still is, and it's going to be non-title. But uh, yeah, she, there's no future of her doing more dates. Then they need to get the belt off her, and she probably doesn't want to be the one getting pinned. So originally, this was reported as going to be uh, her versus Azumi. But yeah, they threw they threw Hazuki in there. So uh maybe Hazuki's eating the pin here, and Azumi is winning.
2: Yeah, but next week we're going to give you our full review with. uh Friend of the show Karen Peterson. Let's jump into the news. So a couple things. Forbidden Door 2 totally sold out. Go figure. People were saying that uh, you know, they didn't think that was gonna happen. I don't know how people are gonna spin that bad this way, this time, but uh Forbidden Door 2 is entirely completely sold out. Uh NJPW has made its first two match nou- announcements for next month's collision event in Philadelphia. Eddie Kingston will be taking on Gabriel Kidd, and there will be an ROH Pure Rules match between Alex Coughlin and Tracy Williams. Former NJPW referee Jeremy Marcus has joined WWE NXT's officiating crew. Marcus announced his move in an Instagram post on Sunday, so uh, that kind of sucks because that was our media credentials connection. (laughs) 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 Got to figure out how we get stuff done (laughs) with this company now. But yeah, (laughs) congratulations, Jeremy.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Shout out to Jerry Marcus. Always been uh, nice to us. You know, had a convo with him uh, last year in Dallas during Mania weekend. Uh, Good dude. And yeah, congrats on the next step in his career.
2: Uh, Final thing here. Dan Maloney defeated Francesco Akira this weekend at Revolution Rambo Rumble. I said Rambo Rumble for uh, Red Pro Pro Revolution Pro. And uh, post-match, Will Ospreay came into the ring and uh, offered Dan a United Empire armband, and he accepted. So apparently, Dan Maloney is now UE. Whether that will carry over into New Japan Pro Wrestling or not remains to be seen, but a uh, new member of United Empire.
3: Yeah, and Will you know, made a post and said, yeah, beware juniors and tagging New Japan. So yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll get Dan Maloney in best of super juniors. Uh, I think Dan only. I've seen some of his stuff since being in Rev Pro and um, getting released from NXT UK. This guy, he, he's super shredded now and has improved a ton. Um, and so, yeah, I think it'd be a great addition to the junior division and a great addition to United Empire.
2: I don't support any wrestler whose last name rhymes with baloney. <laughs> uh, uh, so
3: that's all for the news. A few questions here, and then we'll do recommended match of the week and get out of here. Um, so, uh, first question here from Copper Squire, uh, your most wanted dream picks for the best of super junior tournament, specifically people who haven't been in yet.
2: Huh? Interesting. So if, I mean, honestly, a lot of the guys I would love to see in super juniors are like guys that are just forbidden from being able to be in it. People that are like tied to to like triple Yeah. So, so it'd be like. Vikingo Laredo kid Commander. Commander, uh, Phoenix Pentagon, fuck it Psycho Clown, <laughs>
3: Psycho Loco, Psycho <laughs> Clown.
2: <laughs> no, I'm just
3: joking, I don't like Psycho Clown, but
2: yeah, like that's kind of like my, those are like my dream picks because they can't happen.
3: <laughs> yeah, all those are guys I would love to see in it. Um, the one pick that I have that could be realistic is speedball Mike Bailey. Oh, that'd be so sick. Guy's incredible. Uh, you know, I chatted with him last year during Mania weekend and, and talked about potentially being in Best Super Juniors, and also that's a, a goal of his. And he's been on a hot streak. Uh, he was the you know, wrestler of the weekend last year during Mania weekend, and he's been killing it in Impact and other independent dates. Um, so, yeah, he would be my top pick from a guy who's never been in it. Never officially been in a New Japan, ring in Japan. I think he'd be the best addition for this year's tournament.
2: If I had to pick one person, though, that was quasi realistic, but realistically, it's it's not realistic. I'd want Darby Allen. Mm. The problem is, it's Darby Allen, and he's probably too big a star for AEW to let him go away. But the, here's the thing: this year, the tournament is like over what? just 2 weeks? Yeah. But then again, do, if I'm Tony Khan, am I going to let like this dude wrestle 12, you know, 12 times in 16 days for a rival company? Like no, <laughs> because it's it's Darby Allin and he doesn't have like you know, he doesn't have a regulator to like keep him from burning out. But you know, selfishly, I I think this guy needs to work a Super Juniors before he Hurts himself too, too badly that he can't wrestle anymore. So I yeah. would love to see him here.
3: Yeah. And also booking is also, would be an, an issue there. Cause I'm sure they'd wanna, unlike, they want to, unlike him to go to the finals, bro. Right. It's a totally different situation than like a wheel Utah last year where Utah was a guy that they could beat. Uh Darby's not going to be somebody that they could beat often in that tournament. Uh, next question here from the dark soldier. Should Davis and Fletcher be considered for spots in the G one After their killer performances in the New Japan Cup.
2: No. You don't think so? I mean, in theory, like, yeah, would it be really cool? Sure. But, like, it's the fucking G1. And I'm not saying they don't deserve it. But, like, the the bro, we had, like, 28 people in the tournament last year. There's only going to be, like, probably 20 spots this year. Mm -hmm. It's going to be really tough just to fit the regular dudes in. And if you, you start incorporating even, like, as talented as those guys are a tag team. I don't know. I don't think there's space for it. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you put them in, you're going to have to cut like Tai Chi. Yeah. I do you want to cut Tai Chi? No, nah, I want Tai Chi in. That's what I'm saying. Do you yeah. want to cut, do you want to cut, uh, say like fucking what? Who's the tag champ? What's his name? Goto? No. Yoshihashi? Do you want to cut Yoshihashi? No. These are the questions you gotta ask yourself.
3: But I do want to cut Yujo Takahashi. I wanna cut
2: Toriano. You can't cut both of those. You get one. You can (laughs) cut one of them. So you can either have Mark Davis or Kyle Fletcher. (laughs) (laughs) Can't have both. (laughs)
3: Uh, Barry Walsh uh, says Do you think Okada and Tanahashi Are being set up to win The tag belts and be the Milestone 100th champions The IWGP committee might allow it As he says he wanted to win The belts with
2: Tanahashi That'd be cool I'd be a fan of it so Definitely you know one thing we kind of glossed Over and I don't know why Tanahashi and Okada are wrestling Sonata and Taiji." That's yeah. a major, major match. And we've never even seen Sonata and tai Chi tag together before, but that match is going to fucking rule. And I can tell you, I think Sonata and tai Chi will likely be tag team champions in the future.
3: Yeah, the, I think they're definitely going to be in World Tag League uh, this year. And yeah, that's going to be a great matchup. You know, the, the Bishamon uh, Mega Aces match, that was great. And you got similar players here with Sonata and Tai Chi. Um, So, yeah, I think it's going to be a a great tag team matchup. Uh, Unfortunately, I think the the ace is going to, you know, eat a dangerous suplex and uh, a deadfall, and uh, just five guys will reign strong that night.
2: Right. But I do think that this is an interesting proposition that he mentioned, the 100th champion of all time for the IWGB titles. That would be really cool for mega aces. Yeah. And I also wish, here's the only thing I'll say, Barry Walsh, and, and this goes for the rest of you. That are listening. Don't send me another question about Tanahashi and Okada unless you're proliferating the name Mega Aces. <laughs> Don't do it.
3: Well, let's uh conclude the show here <laughs> with uh, recommended match of the week. Uh so last week for the excursion pick. Um, I chose uh, Time Machine versus Bullet Club from Impact's No Surrender Pay-Per-View February 24th.
2: All right. This match was... Let me put it to you this way. If this match had happened on an AEW Pay-Per-View, people would be raving about it. Or if it had happened in Reseda, holy shit, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If, if this happened in Japan people be losing their minds unfortunately <laughs> it happened an impact wherever the fuck no surrender took place and this crowd was dead as a doornail so it was almost like watching an exhibition of a great wrestling match and make no mistakes it was great i mean they put uh, it was so good that it, the ratings for this cage match and and the receptions of this were very high for those that saw it But, like, the crowd, to me, and I've always been this way, crowd reaction plays a major role in my perception and enjoyment of wrestling. And this crowd just did I mean, at the very, very end of the match, like, and I think the match went 16 minutes and some change, down the stretch they were like, this is awesome. (laughs) But it was like, you know, there's probably a couple hundred people there and there's like 15 people that were like, Really pushing for the this is awesome chant like th- it, this crowd sucked, but um this was essentially very much like a PWG style all star um sort of I, I I don't exhibition of what a great match would be where every single guy was just firing on all cylinders, getting all their best stuff. It kind of reminded me of some of those under the radar sleeper six man tags that we'd see in the glory days of like an NXT house show. Mm. Like where like, you know, you know, like uh, undisputed era goes out there with like Ricochet and like, uh, Hanson and Rowe and like, just tear down the house and nobody saw it because it was not taped. <laughs> yeah. It was like that, except it was taped and the crowd didn't, they didn't tear down the house. <laughs> the crowd didn't care. Um, I couldn't go higher than three and three, three quarters on this. Um, ultimately the match ended with, uh, the Bullet Club team picking up a kind of flat finish where it looked like Time Machine was getting ready to set up a big finish off the top rope. They got distracted, interference was run, and then um, at the last minute, Ace Austin got a backslide win for unexpected one-two-three. But prior to that, this was high-octane, all cylinders, balls to the wall, great match, just an exhibition of incredible junior style wrestling. Some of my criticisms, Kenta, I don't know what was going on with him. He sort of was a non-factor in the match, which kind of sucked because it's the only match he's ever had an impact. And he was kind of just power speed walking around and, and doing his comedy shtick. He didn't really have much to do in the match, um, but everyone else was fantastic. Got to ask yourself, what the fuck is new Japan doing with Kushida? What is the plan with this guy? Does he not want to work in Japan? I don't know, but uh match was good. I would say if you want to check it out, it, it's, it's, Worth you know checking out, but uh, this is not a match excursion match of the year contender.
3: Yeah, man, I don't understand the the Impact wrestling fan base. Like a lot of times when we watch these Impact excursion matches, the crowds, like you mentioned, are just so dead. They don't seem to be invested in the storylines. Like I still I don't understand the people who go to those shows.
2: I think it's just fans of wrestling who are like, oh, Impact's in town, and it's like twenty dollars, so I'll go but they don't watch it and they right. don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? They yeah. just happen to be there and they're like, Oh, I'll do it. Yeah. It'd be like me going to an NWA show. Mm, got you. <laughs> and it's like, ah, <laughs> Tyrus. <laughs> What's that? It's a Tyrus. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I couldn't even remember his name.
3: <laughs> oh man. Um, then for uh, the recommended match, you uh, picked for me, Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito from the new Japan cup. 2015 and Much like every Ibushi Naito match this was a Awesome matchup uh, Young Naito Young Ibushi uh, You know Naito with only one knee taped up So you know he was going to do some more Flying than we see in 2023 um, and You know every time these guys wrestle There's you know impending danger For their necks um, and So also this started all the way back here In 2015 and Yeah, throughout the match, great dragon suplex spots These guys were dropping each other on their heads German suplex Uh, There was a great uh, Poison Rana spot from Naito to Ibushi Again, just dropping Abushi right on his head Uh, Crowd was super hot for this match Really into both guys Um, And it was, you know, faster pace You know, abushi's just kind of Coming out of the junior division, um, getting more into the heavyweight division. So it, it was a faster pace. You're getting, the, you know, double drop kick spots, uh, more kind of running the ropes, the big, you know, pulling on spot I mentioned, great reversals, kind of a more, it was kind of a mix of a junior-style, X-Division-style match with a New Japan kind of main event-style matchup. Um, and the match went probably went about like 16 minutes, so it wasn't super long, Uh, but yeah, really enjoyable matchup, Um, Ibushi's able to kind of fight off Naito's, uh, he's going for the Gloria, Uh, eventually he gets him with the the big set out last ride powerbomb which was his finisher at the time,
2: uh, and gets the big win. Yeah, um, very interesting to kind of see like junior Ibushi versings, versings, Versus a uh, genius Stardust Genius Naito at this stage of their careers, and like what what would come between those two guys down the road? So very very interesting. I did get a chance to you know reacclimate myself with this match this past week, and uh, some pretty crazy stuff. Not as crazy what we come to see from them, but uh, very good nonetheless.
3: Yeah. So that brings us to this week. So I have the uh, recommended, the classic recommended pick for the week. Uh, so we're going to go back to Invasion Attack 2013, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team title match as the time splitters, Alex Shelley and Kushida, take on Apollo 55, Prince Devitt and Riske Taguchi
2: nice i will check that out this week and uh give you my report for the excursion match of the week jeremy it's it's wrestlemania weekend you, you got new japan guys up and down the shows all week from wednesday all the way up to sunday plus on wednesday you got jeff cobb and and kenny omega for the IWGP title so you really got the the pick of the litter. It's up to you. I don't know what shows you even plan to watch this week. I mean, do you want to cover Wheeler Utah versus or uh, Shibata? Do you want to cover Kenny Omega versus Jeff Cobb? Like, what are you thinking? Like, what do you want to watch? I don't know. It, it, this is your call.
3: Uh, let's go with uh, Kenny versus Cobb. It's a uh, IWGP. Well, is that? I guess is that? I guess technically it's a excursion man. Yeah.
2: It is an excursion match. It's happening in AEW. Yeah, it's it's, it's
3: a U.S. title match. Let's uh, go with that. And, of course, we can always we'll have plenty to pick from from those other shows for coming weeks.
2: I mean, you could have done the Reach for the Sky Ladder match, man. I don't know. I don't know. It's up to you.
3: Yeah, I, I'll go with Kenny Cobb because I know for sure I'll we watching Dynamite for sure. Um, and so I'll have to catch up on a lot of the other Mania weekend stuff, so.
2: All right. Well, it's a good thing I didn't pick Alex Coughlin versus John Moxley then.
3: I mean, I'm definitely going to want to watch that match. As as what are you going to
2: do? Are you going to watch Bloodsport or, or Super Show? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. I guess I'll be watching a lot of the... I'm not going to say the name of the website, but I'm going to be watching this week. to uh, watch some of these shows. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs>
3: Well, uh, that's going to uh, wrap things up for us this week. Like we mentioned, our good friend from the show, Karen Peterson, from Post Wrestling, will be joining us next week to preview and give predictions for the big Sakura Genesis uh, event for New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, if oh, you... One
2: thing before we go, I- I'm going to watch Tamashi this week, all right? I'm going to watch Tamashi Nights 3 and Nights 4. On the air, let's make a decision right now. Do we want to cover this as part of our regular show, or it, it's looking like the schedule's pretty crazy? Do we want to do a bonus episode for that shit?
3: Uh, I don't know. I mean, this is kind of a light week with a preview coming up, so we potentially could squeeze squeeze it in for next week's show.
2: My commitment, regardless, I'm watching Tamashi Nights three tomorrow, and then the next day I'm going to watch Night four and that's gonna lead me into wrestlemania week so regardless either we could do it together i could do it alone we could do it next week I, we could do it as a bonus but we're gonna cover this tamashi shit
3: let's plan one
2: way or another
3: yeah i mean we got two row twos and a preview so i think let's try and get it on the docket for next week's show i think we're gonna make
2: that work we will try I mean, I, I don't know if we'll be able to give as much attention to Libra Lucci as I'd like. <laughs> oh, man. But we will try. You, and Richard Mulu. <laughs> uh, I'm all in for Caveman Ugg. Nah, fuck Caveman Ugg. It's all about Libra. <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right. So, yeah. So, we'll, we'll cover to uh, Tamashi uh, hopefully next week. But, yeah. That's it for us. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping A Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at K-I Strong Style. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. You can follow our network at Social Suplex. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash socialsuplex. At Social Suplex on Instagram. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Tomowitz. The AEW Match Guide podcast, hosted by Sir Sam Brown. And the Meet the Press Slam Hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style. The ace of podcasts. Itchy Bon.
1: Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.